Welcome to Scouting the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2022 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Ride Network, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I'm your host, JJ Hardy, and you can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. And joining me as he does every week is Vincent Richardson, Managing Editor at the Ride Report. What's up, Vince? Hey, JJ. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Um, It's been a couple weeks. I had to take a little spring break vacation last week. So excuse the um, the missed week. You know, we missed you guys and tried to figure out a way to do it. But we felt like it was best to just save it all for this week. Uh, fortunately for us, not a lot has changed since the last time we no. spoke. Yeah, so, it, you know, just minimal um, you know, transactions and news. And one of the things that happened um, recently was the signing of Stefan Gilmore by the Indianapolis Colts. And so, you know, that was Panthers news because, you know, last year we traded for Stefan uh, right there, you know, in the middle of the season when it looked like we could go on a little push, you know, maybe towards the playoffs. And I remember Scott Fitterer saying then that that was a win now type move. And, you know, with Stefan being a, a local guy, you know, born and raised in Rock Hill, just south of Charlotte. Um, he was a guy that being a, a South Carolinian who's like really from the same neighborhood, if you will. Um, I always looked at him as a guy that could potentially come home and play for the Panthers. So that move was you know, really big for me because I've been advocating for him coming home for a couple of years. But he came in, um, the season didn't go the way that they expected. Um, he was recovering from, I think, a quad injury or whatnot. And so they couldn't you know, put him out there on the field. Um, after he was acquired and then, you know, they eased him back onto the field. And I think the highlight of his season was being matched up against Kyle Pitts and, and really shutting him down and, you know, us winning that game against the lowly Falcons. Um, but, you know, it, it looked exciting, right. You know, what could be, you know, with Stefan Gilmore, a player that was only two years removed from his defensive player of the year campaign. And, you know, and it's just not common to get that kind of talent in Carolina, you know, via trade mid-season like that. You know, we've had a defensive player of the year in Carolina before, you know, with Luke Keekley. So it was kind of refreshing to get somebody with that type of um, impact, you know, with the cerebral approach to his position. Um, and especially, you know, being a mentor for young guys in that cornerback room like J.C. Horn, um, Keith Taylor, and particularly C.J. Henderson. And, you know, I've read reports of, how his relationship with Henderson was really, really good. And, you know, and, and, you know, you and I talked about this before we started recording, you know, I've, you know, you made a great point about CJ Henderson's personality, you know, being more of a laid back type of guy. And sometimes that, you know, being misunderstood, you know, he probably saw Stefan Gilmore as a guy that, you know, that was built similarly to him, you know, and the fact that he wasn't this rah-rah type guy, you know, but, you know, he exuded, uh, exuded confidence through his play, you know, through his knowledge. And CJ probably saw that and was like, I can be like that. And um, so, you know, for those reasons, I thought Stefan was really good, you know, for the Panthers, for these young Panthers. Um, but they went a different direction. They signed Dante earlier in free agency. And, you know, I think the writing was pretty much on the wall at that point, you know, we're signing Dante for 11. Um, I think it was always one or the other, and they went with youth. 
Um, I think they went with a guy that had been more in, embedded in the brand. And, um, and so, you know, Gilmore was allowed to go and pursue other opportunities. I know we talked about this a few weeks ago. Vincent, I think you mentioned that, you know, we should look at Stefan and where he is, you know, in his career and, you know, just allow him to go and seek, you know, the best yeah. opportunity for himself to win, um, the, you know, to be, you know, like looking at it as a top corner, you know, on, in a winning situation and uh, potentially picking up another um, Lombardi trophy. And, you know, if anybody listening, I hope you would know that that's not the plan here in Carolina. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think that's the thing. It's, it's, it's much about, you know, don't me wrong, Stephon Gilmore is a better cornerback than Dante Jackson. Yes. Um, I, I, that's not the conversation here. But I think if you look at their ages and and where they fit with what the Panthers are right now, I think signing Stephon Gilmore is one of those things where I don't think it, as it, as it did last year, it doesn't really move the needle that much on an otherwise mediocre roster. It's, it's right. a move you make to get from, you know, playoffs to title contender type team and the Panthers are just not that this year and by the time that they might get to that point it's probably going to be either the end of his contract or another year down the road I think he you know just his age profile does not fit with where the Panthers are as a team right now um I I think you know if you're a Panthers you sort of think okay well let him go out and play the rest of his career somewhere else and he can come back as a you know as soon as he retires offer him a coaching position on the spot and kind of say please come home now and coach DBs. Cause I think that that's more where I, you know, the value he would give them in the short term is his ability to mentor younger players. And yes. I think in a way you'd just much rather have that as a coach in a year or two's time than paying a guy top dollar and wasting, you know, valuable years of his career playing as an all pro on a team that is, that is not, you know, that is ultimately not that dependent on the play of an all pro corner. Right. And, 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 and so I can I can agree with that. I, I know my tie to him was a little bit more emotional than it was rational. And that's the case with me most of the time. <laughs> but uh, but, you know, but it was it was good, at least, you know, for the time that we had Stefan, hopefully the the impact he made on those young men in that cornerback room, you know, uh, you know, as a lasting impact. Hopefully he you know, they made connections with him where he can continue to mentor them from afar. I know he has the USC, you know, University of South Carolina connections to JC Horn. And, um, and so, um, you know, I, I wish Stefan well, I, I think he's going to do really well in that, in that indie defense, they have put together a lot of pieces, um, you know, up there, you know, and they're ready to win, you know, so I think they'll probably go as far as Matt Ryan, you know, in this stage of his career can take them. And it's a yeah. really tough conference, you know, and so, um, you know, it's an uphill, challenge for them but they do have a really good roster and it's a good place for Stefan um, hopefully he can compete you know for you know what he's looking for you know an opportunity to get that that championship again and, and so you know good for him um, so that's that on that um, the the other thing that's been in the news as of yesterday has been the uh, the Ian Rappaport a conversation with um, I think it was uh, McAfee right um, and, and he was on his, his YouTube channel and, and they were asking about Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield had been on a podcast um, early in the week, you know, where he had es- expressed that he felt disrespected, you know, by the, by the Cleveland Browns, you know, with the acquisition of Deshaun Watson and, and everybody's been following that fallout and we're not going to get into that. But, you know, the conversation came up about, you know, where's the like, the most likely place for Baker Mayfield to land? And Ian Rappaport 
um, he he put the Panthers out there, you know, and said that it's the most likely destination for Baker Mayfield. It does feel like there's real smoke to that. Yeah. And, and I've been tweeting about Baker a lot. Um, I personally like Baker Mayfield, and I, I don't even know why. I just do. I'm goofy like that. Um, but you know, it was it was circulated in you know different uh, media outlets, especially originally the you know some Panthers local um, social media outlets uh, put it out there on Instagram, and one of the Panthers' uh, most uh, out, outspoken players seemingly um, reacted to it and said that he didn't want Baker. Um, Quote, no, is what he um, responded with on the tweet. Yeah, subtle, a subtle no with about a thousand O's. Um, And then when someone else posted that he had said no, he doubled down and said facts. You know, I don't want Baker Mayfield here, which is, you know, pretty interesting um, for a player to do. But, you know, in this day and age of social media, you know, players are, you know, enjoying themselves in the off season. They're watching Twitter and Instagram like the rest of us. And, you know, and he had, you know, he felt the type of way and he said something about it. And, you know, and it was really, you know, awkward, you know, as being somebody who had been talking about Baker Mayfield potentially coming for the last couple of days and seeing the player say no, I was like, well, let me just be quiet on that. And honestly, that's what I'm going to do right now too. Um, we don't know what's going to happen, you know, with the quarterback situation for the Panthers. Um, Baker Mayfield, has been mentioned along with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo as being two veteran well, options I, that could work out. I, I think what is notable is that what what is being talked about in terms of the types of moves that would make those players be available yeah. are very different. I mean, you know, I saw something this week where the 49ers are still asking for multiple day two picks for Garoppolo. Which is do not have a day two pick, let alone a multiple day two pick. So I, I, yeah. I think that is a, a different scale of move. I think... Yeah. Well, I think there is there is probably some truth to their interest in Baker Mayfield. I think it is probably a much. I would be very very surprised if they made that caliber of move for Baker Mayfield. It feels more either like a trade for a, a, a late round pick or a pick swap, or there's also the issue of his contract and stuff. So I, I think it's it's going to be more similar to the move that saw Teddy Bridgewater go to Denver than the move that saw Sam Darnold come to Carolina. Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think that's, you know, that's the context that has been missing, you know, over the last few weeks when it comes to um, news about these quarterbacks. And let me say this, you know, like, there's not a big difference between Garoppolo, Mayfield, Donald, or Teddy Bridgewater. You know, I, I was a big Teddy Bridgewater guy. Teddy Bridgewater, in my mind, is probably near the top of that list, if not the top, you know, in terms yep. of his ability to quarterback and, you know, he's not going to wow you with the statistics or anything like that. But um, if I had to trust a guy, you know, with my offense, um, it was always about that, you know, with Teddy for me. And so, uh, yeah, these I, other I, guys. I, I don't think Baker is going to move the needle a huge amount either way. No, I don't think so either. You know, the Baker Mayfield thing to me is, you know, you have a guy, you know, that, that needs to prove himself, you know, as a starting quarterback again, kind of like Sam was last year. Um, and, you know, you have a team in the Panthers, you know, that are at this really awkward position that seemingly everybody around the NFL knows, right? You know, you have this coach that's in his third year that needs to basically prove himself or, you know, a firing is imminent. Um, and, you know, and you have a, a, a roster that really needs a left tackle, 
um, and needs a young quarterback to build around. I think the thing that that the Panthers have to deal with this year is in this particular draft, in the 2022 draft class, what position is 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 best to use number six for? And I think like most draft people, you know, when they really peel it back, you could justify three of the top tackles going at number six, you know, at least in the top 10. I think in the average year, none of these quarterbacks would be a top 10 quarterback, right? And the only one that's worth risking a top 10 pick for is Malik Willis. And that's just based on his upside. So if you are the Panthers and you're looking at number six and you have like one or two of those tackles in front of you and you have these quarterbacks in front of you, you have to look at you know, which one of these, which one of these guys would be the best fit for what we're trying to build. And I think most people would say that taking a top tackle would be a smarter move for this particular draft. And so if you go that direction, then it becomes, okay, do we just roll with Sam Donald, you know, pay him his 18.8 and just, and just see where that takes us this year. Or do we want to at least try to do something different and see if we can acquire, you know, a Baker Mayfield or a Jimmy Garoppolo and take our chances, you know, with doing something different at the quarterback position, which, you know, they seem like they 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 want to do that. You know, that's thing, you know, that's what's been communicated, at least um, how I interpreted it, you know, from late last season until now. Oh, I, I, I think they would like to do something. I think there's also the, the the other side of it is not wanting to throw, you know, to chase bad money with good money. You know, I don't right. know if that's an expression in the US, but uh, the idea that, you know, you've, you've you know, in, what you can't afford to do is throw more assets trying to find short-term solutions to long-term problems. Right. Um, I was thinking about this earlier, that, that, that you know, it's, it's true in everything, like the idea, the, the, the endemic nature of poverty um, like you know, you make you you are forced to make short-term you know, decisions which have negative long-term consequences. Right. And I, I think the pandemic, yeah, no. Or <laughs> yeah. The, the example that always gets used is rather than buying a a, a fifty-dollar pair of shoes that lasts for ten years, you buy a twenty-dollar pair of shoes that lasts for two years. Yeah. Which, because yeah. because you don't have the extra thirty dollars at that point in time, and actually that you know that you pay more per year of shoe usage for that. Yeah, yeah you have to buy, yeah, you have to buy what, three pairs of shoes, right? Yeah, That's something yeah. That they have to take you yeah. long, the same amount of time. Um, and, it, and it's the same thing. You, you don't want to be making short-term decisions because you don't, you know, the, the key for the Panthers is not to be the best team possible in 2022. It's to be, is to put themselves in the best position to be a contending team in 2023, 2024 and beyond. So right. I think there's a bit where, you know, there, there are moves where you could bring someone like Baker Mayfield on in a way that helps long term, but I yeah. think they, it's not just as generic as get Baker Mayfield and he fixes it. It's about how you combine that with what are the salary cap implications, how the picks move, uh, and basically creating a situation where you're not risking too much because you don't expect there to be a huge reward. So it's about balancing risk and reward. I, 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 I think that is easier said than done. Well, I, I definitely see it that way. And if people, you know, listen to Baker Mayfield's uh, podcast interview, the reason that I was so pro, you know, bringing Baker Mayfield on is because he's really self-aware at this point, right? He, he, he admitted that anybody who picks me up, I know it's a one-year deal, yeah. right? 
I, he said, I don't expect anybody to give me a contract. I know it's a one-year deal. And if I go there and ball out, you know, I can potentially get an extension there or I get a contract elsewhere, right? Yeah. I think this 2022 Panthers team is the perfect place to try to do that because it's not like it's not like Sam Donald's situation where, you know, we picked them up in year four of a five-year deal and we exercised this fifth year, you know, and, and so now you got them for two years. I think with Baker is really one year. Oh, no, no, I, I, I agree with that. I think the, the I mean, I proposed this to you before we sort of did the podcast, but like, I think the question is the Baker's, you know, it, it, there's a difference between, say, what um, Trubisky has done in, in Pittsburgh, um, yeah. where I can't remember exactly what the money is for his deal, but it's like... Uh, like 10 million, I think it's 10 million. Or something. It, might be, it might even be less than that. I think it's like about seven, something like that. Oh, okay. um, and, and, and that's, you know, and, you know, Brissette has signed a small deal, and Mariota's signed a similar deal with Atlanta, and, and um, Jameis Winston signed a similar, you know, two-year, $28 million deal. Mayfield is going to be paid more than any of those guys in that one-year deal. You know, he's being right. paid close to $20 million. So it's not, it's a significant investment in that one year. And so I think the, the two ways this, this gets fixed are either Cleveland takes a, a chunk of his cap hit or the Panthers get draft capital in order to, to counter the fact they're going to have to take a big cap hit. So the two scenarios I could see is either something like what happened with, with um, uh, Teddy last year where you sort of get a, a late round pick for Baker and half his contract, basically. Or you get a system where you get, say, the Panthers send a sixth-round pick for Baker Mayfield and a fourth-round pick. Say, so I'm, I'm making up the picks. But the idea that you effectively gain draft capital in return for eating his entire contract. Because I, I, I'm not sure if you offered... Like, if Baker got cut tomorrow, I don't think any team is claiming it on, him on waivers. Or I don't think any team should claim him on waivers anyway. <laughs> right, like, right. I don't, I don't think anybody would just straight up take Baker Mayfield on a one-year, $19 million contract. No, Fully, not fully guaranteed. Like yeah, they felt like they can negotiate that down. No, they're not going to take that full, that full no, contract. No, no. So because, in that case, you need, they, need, you need picks to take the full contract or you need Cleveland to take some of the contract. You know, I, I was really leaning before you just outlined that. I was really leaning towards having Cleveland like eat half the deal, and then we exchange like a six round or something for him. Um, you know, but you know, when you put it that way, I think if you can get, you know, like a round, like a third round pick, you know, and Baker, but you know, for taking the full nineteen, I might be interested in that. You know, yeah, I, I think third is probably because it's only one year and it's nineteen. Not I can't remember what the Brock Osweiler deal was. I think it was a, a second for a fourth pick swap, but I think he had more guaranteed money um, okay. left on his contract. I think you'd be looking at more of like a fourth round pick. A fourth pick. Um, I mean, but, but that's not that bad either, though. You know, if I can get a fourth round pick, you know, and Baker Mayfield um, for a year just to take on his salary, uh, I, I I would definitely. You know, I'd be okay with it. I, I I wouldn't be mad at it. You know, in my mind, I just conditioned myself to thinking that you know we could just take half the deal. We pay like nine point nine million dollars, and Cleveland would eat the other nine point nine, and you know we just you know just rock with that for a year, see what happens. Um, but either scenario, I think works out. I think it just comes down to what the Panthers would be comfortable with ultimately, um, and what Cleveland is willing to agree to. Um, but we don't know yet, right? I think no, there's a lot I, of discussion I, I, around, you know, Baker I, Mayfield. And I think the one key point I would make is last year with the Sam Donald trade, the Panthers were clearly shopping hungry. Like, I, yeah. I, 
I, I, I think, although there is some merit to adding someone like Baker Mayfield, this is not a game-changing decision. And I think the Panthers, it's one of those things where the Panthers have to be willing to walk away from it if they don't get the deal they want. They can't afford to be the ones desperate to get the deal done because I think that's how you end up trading a second and a fourth round pick for Sam Darnold. No, you're right. And I, I, I do, I, I, because of, you know, who's involved, like I think they learned their lesson with Sam Darnold. I hope they learned their lesson. Yeah, hope so. And so uh, let's, uh, let me say that, like I hope, you know, that they've learned their lesson, you know, with the Sam Donald thing and that they don't um, do anything desperate because the reality is, and everybody needs to hear this if they don't have it in their, you know, embedded in their, in their fan soul right now, is that the Panthers aren't winning the Super Bowl in 2022. And so even if you have to, like, eat Sam Donald's deal and roll Sam Donald out there in week one or even potentially for the season, it's not going to be the end of the world for the Carolina Panthers just because that's just where we are. I think I think not wanting to see a particular quarterback play is how we got to Sam Donald, right? Yeah. And so you don't want to double down, you know, you know with the, you know just by having a lack of emotional intelligence, you know, as a fan and and just beg to not see Sam Donald so bad to where they have to or they feel that they have to do something irrational. And, and give up too much to get a guy like Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo. Because like you said, I don't think either guy moves the needle that much. And even if they're worth an extra two to three wins, um, you know, those two to three wins don't project to any substantial winning or championship level um, contention. So, so it just, you know, just be mindful of that. You know, I'm sure there's more to come, you know, as we get closer to the draft and maybe during the draft or after the draft, um, you know, you know, we'll learn more about what their plans are for quarterback. But, you know, we have less than two weeks for the draft. And with that said, yes. you know, we, have, we have some prospects to discuss this week. Um, you know, we typically, you know, do a position group a week, I think. We did two position groups the last time we spoke, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And so we missed last week. And so we only have, you know, two episodes before the draft left. And so, you know, we have six position groups to cover. <laughs> um, so this week we're going to do three. And so yeah. bear with us this week. You know, it could go quick, but it may take some time. Um, we have the tight end group, the interior offensive line group, and then the linebacker group. And if you have been following us, we tend to do the groups um, in, in terms of, you know, importance and how we feel the Panthers should be targeting, you know, these position groups. And so now we're getting kind of close to where we yeah. actually have needs, um, you, know, you know, in terms of position groups. Um, you look at our tight end room, you know, we have Ian Thomas and we have Tommy Tremble. I think Colin Thompson is still in the fold. None of those names scare anybody, right? And then no. you know, interior offensive line, yeah, we made some, you know, we made some progression in the in free agency, you know, but it's I just not a lot of there's not a lot of clarity on the interior offensive line. It's right. a big thing, right? And so we need to talk about that position group because we can improve there. And then the linebacker group, to me, as a defensive guy at heart, like this linebacker group for the last two years. Even, you know, going back to last year, and I'm not really counting the edge rushers as linebackers, just focusing on yeah, the, yeah, guys so the, in the, the off-ball guys, yeah. Yeah, the off-ball guys. I've been really disappointed in Carolina after having 
a decade of a legend. And then even his 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 Robin, you know, was Thomas Davis for over a decade. You know, not together, but Thomas Davis was around here for 10 years, I believe, you know, at least nine years. You had John Beeson in there, you know, even going back to the Dan Morgans, the Witherspoons. Like, we've had good linebacker play in Carolina. And now, you know, Shaq Thompson is, like, the best we have off ball. And Shaq is good. Shaq has improved. Shaq has become a Yeah, Sha- Shaq has definitely taken a real step. I, I, I must say, I, I, I think they are – so well, should we talk about the t- tight ends first, and then we because yeah, I think yeah, that, that, yeah, should, that yeah, should be, that should be fairly quick because yeah, I'm getting, getting ahead of myself. So yeah, um, Vincent. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned these guys, but you know, just give us a rundown of what the what the Carolina Panthers currently have at the tight end position, and then we will get into the prospects. You know, tell us who yeah. your top prospects are. Tell us who might be a little overhyped in the in this draft class, and and then you know who might make sense for the Panthers. So I think the, the Panthers tight end room, there's, you know, although I don't think Ian Thomas or Tommy Tremble are kind of like tight end ones in the NFL, I think, you know, they're both under contract now for three more seasons. Um, I think they both are at least average to above average blockers with at least good athleticism in space. I don't think either of them are ever going to be elite route runners. Um, but I think Ian Thomas, I think, has potential to be more of a downfield threat if you know the offensive line can hold up long enough, um, like you showed that there were a little bit of flashes like that catch he had against Minnesota down the field. That's kind of an indication of I think what they would like him to be used as that kind of seam threatening tight end. And I think Tremble was a much better receiver than, than you know he was, he was a guy who was not throwing the ball very much at all in college and had a couple of drops. And it was one of those things where you're never sure with that whether those couple of drops are going to become you know if you only get thrown the ball twenty times and you drop the ball twice. You don't know whether that's just because you happen to have two drops in a really small sample size or whether you are going to continue to drop 10% of the passes that are thrown your way throughout your career. And I think he looked much more secure as a receiver last year than I, than the worst case scenario anyway. Right. And so I think they are, you know, I don't think the Panthers have to draft a tight end at all. I think they could go in with the group they have. Colin Thompson is pretty unremarkable as a tight end three, but he's, you know, he can do a job, even if it's not a particularly, you know, he's a replacement level player, but he's not, an, an actual negative but I think where there is room in this this tight end room is one for more short to intermediate route running competence um, yeah. I think that that sort of intermediate safety blanket type tight end is not what they really have in 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 Tremble or, or uh, Thomas um, and also obviously someone you know so, someone who can develop is the other option so you're either looking for someone who maybe doesn't have a super high ceiling, but can come in in the short term and can offer maybe with not a super high ceiling, but can offer a consistent short to intermediate option underneath yeah. um, as that like tight end three kind of you know, rotation role or drafting someone probably later round, to be honest, who is just athletic um, and you, you basically just don't play them at all, sit them and develop them. Um, let, let me ask you this question before we get into the prospects, right? Like I think as you were talking about like the short intermediate route running um, that we need out of the tight end position. Like I started going through all the guys in my head that I know have been the, the top tight ends, you know, of, of, of my football fandom. And you have guys like Gonzalez, you know, you have guys like, you know, Gronk and, and um, Kelsey now, you know, and there's been a lot of others gates, right? Like what do those guys have as tight ends 
that allows them to be really good at finding like the soft spots and zones, you know, kind of like having that that telekinesis with quarterbacks. And I left, did I say Olsen? You know, Greg Olsen. We had no, 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 but Olsen was definitely yeah, one of those yeah. guys. Well. Greg Olsen was one of those guys too. So, you know, big respect to Greg Olsen. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, but but it's a, Greg was one of those guys too. And he was really the first one that popped up in my mind. I don't know why I didn't mention him first. Um, you know, who could really help his quarterback out. Cam really benefited from having yeah. Greg Olsen. And so... One of the problems that I've seen over the last, I think, four seasons with the Carolina Panthers has been the phasing out of the tight end, you know, and, and the, the tight end. I won't say phasing out, you know, Greg Olson got older. Um, Chris McCaffrey's emergence as a pass catcher kind of took some of that, I believe. Um, yeah. But nevertheless, I like football, you know, passing offenses using the tight end. And, yeah. and so, like, how do you get a young guy? to develop into a guy that can, you know, have that, that, that sit sense, you know, to find the, the open areas, you know, in zone coverage and, and, the, and to be connected to the quarterback. And they know, you know, that if the linebackers come up, I'm going to, you know, run this route right behind them and I'm going to stop here. And, you know, I see Kelsey doing it. Like he's helped um, Pat Mahomes out so much, man. And, and, yeah. and then Mark you know, Andrews as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Andrews with, with Lamar, like, those guys do so much for their young quarterbacks. And, you know, we're eventually going to have, you know, a young quarterback to develop. Like, how do we get, like, is, can Ian Thomas become that? You know, can, can Tommy Trumbull become that? You know, like, like, how do you get that? Like, what's your, so what's, your, what's your take on that? So I think some of it is, you know, some schemes just don't ask tight ends to do that. Like the, the conventional NFL, like the, the classic tight end is quite a rare thing. And part of the big issue is that very few college offenses genuinely run like legitimate tight ends. Like right. tight ends in college football are often either just big receivers um, or effectively extra offensive linemen who occasionally catch the ball. Right. Um, and there are very few offenses that make use of like true prototypical tight ends because there just aren't many of those guys. And so you can't, if you're a college coach, you're not going to design your scheme assuming you have that guy. And so you just they don't get built into what you're doing in terms of offensive architecture. But I think in terms of developing those players, there's, there's a few. I mean, ultimately, a lot of it is just intelligence and awareness. You know, yeah. Greg Olson was a really smart guy. Uh, yeah. um, you know, Mark Andrews, really, really smart guy. Um, I think. You know, you're about like, um, oh God, uh, you know, Gates uh, uh, and um, all, a lot of the, like the, 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 the tight ends you mentioned are, are you know, clearly very articulate, very intelligent guys. Yes. Um, I don't think Ian Thomas or, or Tommy Jumble are not that, but I think, you know, it, it, it requires a, it also requires someone to help you make use of that intelligence as well. Right. Like you, you don't right. just like suddenly work it out. I mean, I, I wasn't, you know, watching tape long enough to, to sort of watch Greg Olsen back in college, but Mark Andrews definitely showed that in college. Like, yeah. you know, you know, he, he clearly had that before he got to, to the NFL and has right. built upon it, but, you know, he, he clearly was very good at that already. I think the other thing is, particularly against man coverage is, and this is, this is, like, this is maybe why Greg Olsen is a good example. Like, what I don't think the Panthers are going to get in this draft is a Greg Olsen. Right. Because I, like, I, I just don't, one, I don't think there is a Greg Olsen in this draft, but also if you're looking at sort of later round picks, what Greg Olson was able to do is that he had the shiftiness and the intelligence and the footwork and the understanding of how to run routes to create that short and intermediate separation. 
but yeah. also had the long speed to just run away from guys and score a 50 yard touchdown. Right. Uh, and, and I that think was where. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember uh, him at, at Miami and, and yeah. That was uh, but, where. But, that, but that's what separates those great guys. It's what's going to separate Pitts if he takes that sort of step. It's what separates Mark Andrews, although he hasn't got quite the same deep speed. He's still, you know, fast. He's still fast, yeah. Yeah. I think what you're going to get in this draft, and what the, in particular, is you're either going to get guys who have that deep speed, but who you have to develop into route runners. I would suggest, given that they've kind of taken that approach already with Ian Thomas and Tommy Tremble, I don't yeah. think you need you. You could do it if you're spending a late round pick and you're developing them and taking a chance. That's always worth it. But I, I, I think the Panthers have already taken that approach of we're going to draft athletes and develop them. The right. other option you have is have someone who has the intelligence and the route running and the understanding, but maybe not the deep speed. Yeah. Um, and I'll get to that a bit later, but then you're getting more of a late career, Greg Olson, where yeah. he can still create that 15 yards of separation underneath or that five or 10 yards. And he can still use his body to create separation at the catch point. And he can still use his feet intelligently at the head of routes, but he's not going to blow by guys anymore. He's not going to make 40 yard receptions. It's his game in the in that sort of last year, 18 months in Carolina. His game was really the foot 15 yards beyond the line yeah. of scrimmage. Yeah. And I think that's that's the compromise that's going to be if they do take a tight end in this class, is either getting a guy who can do that but not the deep stuff, or a guy who has the deep stuff potential, but you're going to need to build as a route runner. Um, yeah. And and again, you know, you talk about someone like Gilmore being a good mentor, the Panthers could benefit from having a, a tight end coach um, who can who can instill that. And that's really, di- you know, route running is really difficult. There, there are not many receivers, tight ends, whoever, who make radical improvements in their technical route running once they get to the NFL. Yeah. It does happen, but it, it's really hard to teach because so much of it is just feel. Like yeah. you have to, you, you know, you have to be able to feel and understand the leverage and understand the balance and how to, how to make, you know, there's a, there's a great video of Amari Cooper talking about, about how you have to make one route look like another route. Like at, right. at any point in time, you've either got to make the, the, the DB wrong or you've got to make the DB guess. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that is so much about how you shape your body and how you how you physically move during routes. Yeah. That, 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 that's a really hard thing to learn. And there's a reason why it's so valuable. Yeah, and that's why, you know, I mean, we're going to go through these prospects. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a Notre Dame guy. And so I knew Tommy Tremble before, you know, he came to Carolina. And, you know, some of the things that you mentioned about him, you know, not being featured a lot as a pass catcher was due to the freshman that was there then, yeah. Michael Meyer. And so, like, I started thinking ahead to, like, 2023, and I'm thinking, man, I hope that we get a position to get Michael Meyer because I think he's a guy – I don't think he has the deep speed of Greg Olson, but when I look at college tight ends play – I think he's one of those guys that, you know, that's heady enough to be able to find the soft spots in the zone. I think he's a good enough route runner. You know, he's a great, you know, pass catcher. And um, and I think his speed is good enough. It's not elite, you know, but I think he can beat, you know, you know, some linebackers, you know, if, if they try to play in one-on-one. So, um, I mean, I know that's way down the road, but. Yes, I, yeah. I, yeah, but he's the, like, I was thinking about like, who have I seen at the college level who plays like, the guys that we mentioned. Yeah. Notre Dame are one of the few colleges who have consistently made use of that kind of play. Yeah. 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 And we, we good for those type of guys. So I think, and I think he's next. And so we'll see a lot of times they don't end up being NFL legends or anything, but you know, they, they typically solid like the Kyle Rudolphs and, you know, players yeah. like that. And so, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. And even I think the, the one guy, Eifert, like I hate that Eifert got hurt. Oh yeah. Um, no, he was, I, he was really good in Cincinnati. He was, he was really, really good. Yeah, I, I so, remember watching. There was a game when the Panthers played the Bengals, 
and he was matched up against Colin Jones. Yeah. And it was one of those things where, like, Colin Jones was actually playing really good coverage. It's just Ivor yeah. was just making plays at the catch point, but just under, you know, yeah. he, was, he was covered. He was covered. He just yes. kept catching the ball despite being covered. Yeah, and Eiffel was like that. He was like that in college, and you know, and and it really translated to the NFL. It just honestly, it was the I think the foot injuries or whatever he was suffering, yeah. you know, really kind of you know stifled his career. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he would have been. I think if he could have stayed healthy, he would have been mentioned with the other guys that I mentioned. So yeah, Notre Dame is really good with producing those guys, and I think Michael Myers next. I don't know where he's going to be in the in the twenty twenty three draft class. But, you know, it would be good for Carolina to eventually get another guy like that. So I hope that, you know, whatever happens in 2022, um, that, you know, we're positioned well enough to, to, to you know, approach 2023 and plug in the quarterback and, you know, and, and continue on our ascension, hopefully. And then, you know, pair that guy with a, a nice young tight end to help him out. So, but anyway, I just need to stop and, and and have that discussion. And for anybody listening, some a lot of times people have the same type of questions. Um, I just, you know, like, because I, I know there's a there's, there's levels for tight ends. And, you know, the best quarterbacks always seems to have, you know, one of those guys who can do that for them. Um, not all the time, you know. And then you have, like, the other tight ends that basically are out there playing roles and running routes and blocking. And, I mean, and they don't have that cerebral part of their game. And so, you know, when looking at who we have on our roster now, I don't see Thomas or Trimble like that. Um, so it's like, how do you get a guy from where they are to that if if you can? And so, you know, I think you answered the question. So go ahead, sir. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, just to talk through the uh, the prospects in terms of who who uh, who, who would sort of there. I, like I should stress this is I don't think this is a particularly high tech class. Um, I think the one prospect who I think should get some like serious day two consideration is uh, McBride from yeah. um, uh, oh god Colorado State. Um, he's probably a good athlete rather than a great athlete. Runs pretty good routes with pretty good blocking and and like good hands and has enough sort of agility after the catch that he can make some plays. I yeah. think he's the only guy in this class who I think has any chance of being like a, a tight end one as a rookie. Yeah. Um, I, I think his ceiling is ultimately not that high. Like, I don't think he's, I think he has a chance to be a, a like a long-term tight end one, but I don't think he's a, an all pro type guy. I think he's, he is probably going to go day two. I don't, I you know he's out of the Panthers range for the, for the position, but I, I think he's probably the, in, in a strong tight end class, he would probably get lost a bit in the mix as of you know, the number you new. Know, Irv Smith, the Alabama tight end who went yeah. to the Vikings, he's not quite as good, but he's a similar kind of player where he's not an elite route runner, he's not an elite blocker, but he's pretty good at both and, and yeah. can probably come in and be a starter caliber guy early, even if he's never at all. I think that's probably a, a goodish kind of comp. He's like an Irv Smith type. Yeah. I went and looked at his comps and they have him like as an Austin Hooper type. Right? I think he's a, a, I think he has, a, I don't think he's quite as athletic, but I think he has more potential as a route runner than Austin Hooper. Yeah. They, they, they have him being projected to be like a plus starter tight end. So mm. where you had him at is, is pretty accurate. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's, that's my bride. Yeah. You I know? think the, the flip side of that is the only other tight end who I've seen get sort of regular 
day two consideration is Isaiah Likely. Yeah. Um, and I think he's probably still my number three tight end in this class, um, okay. but I would not take him day two. I, I, I think he's, he's a good athlete again. I think he's very raw. His blocking needs quite a bit of work, um, particularly if you're going to block it, ask him to block in line. I think he needs quite a bit of work there. He shows potential as a route runner, but needs quite a lot of development. Like Again, it's kind of a guy who I can see being a good tight end, um, but I think I have a sort of a similar kind of grade to the one I had with Mike Gusecki, who obviously has been quite a good tight end in the NFL, but it's kind of a, yeah. you're going to have to teach this guy how to play the position because right now he's just athletic and nothing else. And I don't right. think he's quite as good an athlete as Gusecki was. So yeah, I... They- I the, the comp I saw for him, and I know a lot of people don't like comps, but it kind of helps me frame who a guy might be like. Um, I think he's bigger than this guy, but um, Delaney Walker, you know, and that makes sense based on what you said, you know, like maybe not, you know, he probably needs to define, you know, or get some definition to his game in terms of being a tight end, you know, but it's athletic. And if you can coach him up, you know, he could become a decent tight end. I think Ian Thomas is actually probably quite a good comp thinking about it. Like, I think they're not dissimilar players. Like Ian Thomas basically just didn't really play tight end in college. He just ran, he played athletic guy who happened to be on the field at Indiana. Um, athletic guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he, he ran a very small route tree. Wasn't really asked to do much in terms of complex blocking stuff, but was clearly yeah. quite athletic. And I think that's where I am likely as well. Like it's not that they don't have potential, but you're going to have to do a lot of work to get them there. Um, in, in terms of players who make sense for the Panthers, and I'll touch on this briefly because I think it's probably a relatively low need for the Panthers. I think the guy who I was thinking about a lot when I was talking about how, what the Panthers might get in this draft is Jalen Widemeyer from yeah. Texas A&M, whose athletic right. numbers were bad, like really bad. Um, he is not super fast. I think he's quicker than he is fast. Yeah. But he's not going to be a stretching the field type guy. What he is really, I think he's possibly the best blocker in the class though yeah. he needs a bit more development there as well in terms of being a really good blocker at the NFL level. But he's just a really good route runner in between sort of 10 to 15 yards. He uses yeah. his frame really well. He sets up his cuts well. He understands how to create leverage and separation. He's good at the catch point. Again, it's one of the things where his athletic ceiling is not high enough for him to go any higher. But I think he's like a fourth, late, yeah, like a fourth round type grade player, I'd say. And while I don't think the Panthers would take him in the fourth round, I think if he falls even further because of his athletic testing, then I think if you're talking fifth, sixth round pick, I yeah. think he would, he, he would not only be good value at that point, but he is probably the most logical complement to what the Panthers already have. Like what he yeah. does well is not what Ian Thomas or Tommy Tremble does well. Right. I think the, the only other path they could take that I think is, is more sort of speculative though, it is just the draft an athlete and see what happens. So there you have guys like Jelani Woods from Virginia, um, yeah. Daniel Bellinger from San Diego State, neither of whom I think are particularly good tight ends right now, um, but are just athletes. You know, Jelani uh, Walker is, has got the highest RAS of any tight end ever. So Yeah, that's why I said Woods. And when you saw – I saw them play a couple of times and, you know, he just looks freakish on the field, you know. Yeah. And so if, it, if it's the guy that I think I was watching, I was like, man, no, like – because. Like he just he's big, he's fast, you know, and but I couldn't tell how good he was, you know. But I think he has potential, but I think that's just you know, again, you're going to have to build a player from scratch kind of thing. So I yeah. think for me, he's in a similar kind of tier to Isaiah Likely and the like. Um, well, you know, for me, I mean, and and <laughs> this is a, a really low level beef, you know, on Twitter, you know, but you know, like the Colin Thompsons of the world, right? Like 
I just want to get to a place where, where we know that Trimble's an NFL guy. You know, yeah. we know that Ian Thomas is an NFL guy. Like, none of them are really, like, tight end ones, you know, but they both are, are really good complementary tight ends, you know, you know, and you can use them kind of interchangeably. Um, but, you know, like, the third tight end, you know, like, I think since you don't have a tight end one, you know, then, you know, you need to bring in a guy that can potentially compete, and you never know. They might move one of those other guys out of the way. Um, Colin Thompson isn't that right, and I no, think you know. No. But in, and Giovanni Ritchie, you know, was a tight end before they converted him to fullback. I don't think that worked very well, personally. Like, I, 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 it, it felt like they did it because they wanted a fullback, not because they thought he would be a particularly natural fit at fullback. Yeah, and, and so those kind of moves, you know, really frustrate me. And having those guys with roster spots frustrates me and and I, I remember I voiced that one day and Colin Thompson followed me just so he can tell me that he saw what I said you know and <laughs> and, so, and then he unfollowed me and so uh, you know but but it was you know I know that Colin Thompson is on this team because he he played at Temple with Matt Rule you know yeah. and and I, I'm, I'm over that like try to try to I mean I was the same way with Justin Burris you know and he didn't have any Temple connection but you know, no, I think like, I, I, I think I think he's better than Colin Thompson. You yeah, know, I, I, I don't think Colin Thompson is an abjectly bad player. Like you know, he, he has very little receiving up to upside. He can catch the ball and he's a solid yeah. blocker. And I think yeah. that you know, he's he it is not infeasible that he is the number three tight end on an NFL roster. Right. But the reason why he's with the Panthers in particular is because of the Temple connection. I think that's the thing with the, the Temple stuff is it's not that these guys do not belong in the NFL. It's just right. that their density on this roster is not because they happen to have found some magic key to the great potential of Temple and Baylor players. It's because they have connections. And so when you have guys who are of similar quality, they're the ones that get the shot. That's the part I don't like, right? You know, yeah. so no, I agree. like I'm just at the point where I want to bring in guys and see what other guys can do. Like, great, you know, Colin Thompson, you had two years, you know, it, with the NFL, you know, and you was able to play for your college coach. Great, you know, but like, if, if there's opportunity to go out there and get an athlete that might be raw and see what they can do, like, like go and get him. You know, so this guy, you know, Jalen Wittemeyer, you know, he, he may be that type of guy or um, Woods, you know, if he lasts to the, you know, fifth or sixth round, they, they want to take a shot on him. I just rather have that guy's tight end three, you know, if he, if he can come, you know, at, to this level and, and prove that he belongs uh, rather than just have the guy that, you know, that was with the guy at Temple, you know. So anyway, yeah. now that's my little quick soapbox. So those are our tight ends, right? So we have yeah, Trayvon yeah. as being number one. Um, likely, you said, you know, it's a little overhyped. You have him as your number three. Yeah. Um, so who was your number two that we missed? That we missed? Widemeyer would be my number two. Widemeyer's your number two. But he's clearly not a long-term tight end. Like McBride is the only one who I think is both has the potential of being a tight end one and I think there is a reasonable expectation he could play a lot and make a contribution as a rookie. Like, like it's like McBride, Widermeyer, and then after that, it's either like absolute specialists or developmental guys. I mean, one guy who has got a bit, Greg Dulledge is probably the only other guy to mention, the UCLA guy. I think mm-hmm. he's someone who um, is going to be very scheme dependent. Um, like he is, he does have things he does. He, you know, he needs a lot of work as a blocker. And as a receiver, he has a real schematic fit if you run a very vertical offense but what's a tight end who's going to start attacking down the seam and then breaking back the ball or breaking laterally I think he can do that I don't think he's a guy who is going to you know 
run to the head of the route at 10 yards depth and start creating that separation with footmark at low speeds. He's not a, he's not that guy. Um, So I think he's, he's probably someone else who's worth mentioning. I just, I don't think he's a scheme fit with what the Panthers are doing particularly. Okay. Okay. So that's the tight end group. Like we don't really think that the Panthers are going to aim too high to draft one of those guys, but maybe they three in the right guy falls in their laps. No, they might take a chance. So um, let's go to, like now we get into the meat of it, right? Like now we get into the yeah. position, you know, where we hope that the Panthers actually find a way to address, you know, some of these positions. So the first one um, is the interior offensive line. And for those yeah. who, who are learning, you know, along the way, you know, those are the both guard positions and the center position. And, yeah. um, and, and when we talk about these positions, let's keep in the context of um, Scott Fitterer. And what he told us, you know, he wanted to to do at that position last year. They like guys who have position flexibility. Yes. You know, guys who can play center and guard. And so the interior offensive line positions are the center and guard positions. And so, you know, somebody who could, you know, be a center, but be a guard, you know, is is going to get plus ratings, you know, for the Panthers. And so um, I think, you know, we're going to talk about a couple of those guys now. So, Vincent, tell me who your, your top um, – interior offensive linemen are and then you know who might be a little bit overhyped and then who might fit for the Panthers yeah so I, I think I'll just just very quickly I'll talk about sort of like how the, the the complex nature of where the Panthers are on the interior offensive line I think is also worth noting because like, right. I think you know Corbett is going to start a right guard I think that's fairly certain I yes. would be quite surprised if Bozeman doesn't start at centre um what happens at left guard is not clear. The, the, the only way that Bozeman doesn't start at centre is because he then starts at left guard and Elfman starts at centre. I think yeah. that is one option. The other yeah. option, I think it's more likely that Bozeman starts at centre. And the question yeah. then is, do you add a left guard? Does Brady Christensen move in from left tackle? If, you, if he's on left tackle, that makes much more sense. Does Deontay Brown get another shot? I think Cam Irving and Michael Jordan give them some depth, but I think there's not a lot of certainty there. I, I think it's one of those things where if, if the Panthers don't draft a left tackle, then there's a chance for them to draft a starting left guard. But if they draft someone to start at left tackle, it's hard to see how there's a starting spot week one on the interior. Because well, Let me ask you this question, you know, because I, I, was, I had a spaces on Thursday night and we started talking about trading back scenarios, right? Yeah. And so in the trade back scenarios, like I think one of the guys that probably going to be, you know, your, one of your top prospects, you know, was was there, you know, in the maybe like the low teens. And that's uh, Linderbaum, right? Yeah. And so, and, and so in a scenario where you get a guy like Linderbaum, you know, to come in and he's a center. Yeah. And, no, you, he, have, he... and you have Bozeman, you know, who could, you know, go out to left guard. If you did that, like, do you trust that Christensen can be your left tackle? Well, I think I think the, the thing with Christensen is I do not think he is long-term a left tackle in the NFL. Right. The question is, do you move him this year or do you move him next year, basically? Yeah. I, ideally, I think you would move him this year. Like, I think that in, in, in the best-case scenario is they add a left tackle, Christensen moves to left guard, and you have whoever the new left tackle is, Christensen, Bozeman, Corbett, Moten as your offensive line. I think that's that's what they would ideally like to do. 
And that's how I envision it, you know, because yeah. we've been so focused on getting the left tackle that it's like, okay, they like Christensen as an offensive lineman. I feel like they're going to find a position for him. And I do believe this, you know, that if you played on a particular side of the line, you know, through your whole career. So for Christensen, he was a left tackle. I believe it's easier for him to go to left guard versus try to make him a right guard. And we know that we have a right guard. So yeah, I, I think I think you could move him to center. I think there's been, uh, I can't remember who it was who said it, but there was someone, um, even an NFL offensive lineman, I think it might have been Mitchell Swartz actually, was saying like, if you're going to move a tackle, it's almost easier to move him to center because the footwork is more similar. Oh, uh, wow. yeah. Which I, I think there are pros and cons to it. There's also the fact that you have to learn to snap the ball. So there, there's, there, you know, there's more to it than yeah. just that. But yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where Assume, you know, if, if they, the best case scenario is the draft left tackle and move Christensen to left guard, I think that is the best case scenario. Yeah. I think given that Bozeman is only on a one-year deal, I think the, if they don't draft the left tackle and do draft the left guard, you could then still draft the left tackle next year and just move Christensen to center rather than moving him to left guard. So, okay. or you could, you know, if you draft the center this year, you could move Bozeman to left guard and then you could draft the left tackle next year and Christensen to left guard. So there are ways you can do it. The question right. is, how do the pieces fall? And I think the other part of that is adding quality depth, adding competition below that so that you you have insurance options. You know. Well, I think that's the piece, too, that that when we was having this discussion the other night, you know, I know that the Bozeman deal is only for one year. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if he's a center this year or if he's a left guard this year. We only have him for one year. And although he, you know, he came into the, the Carolina fold and, you know, him and his wife ingratiated. Yeah, yeah, really I like seeing that kind of stuff, but I don't want, you know, to have our hearts broken if he has a really good year and they decide not to go forward with him or, yeah. he's just, or he's just bad, you know, whatever. And we still need to address his position because it, it wasn't like he was always good in Baltimore. He just, he progressively got better. And so we yeah. have the best version of him now, uh, but we only have him for one year. So with only having him for one year, um, you know, I don't think, you know, like we're nearly as close to having our problems solved at offensive line as we hope we are. No. You, you would hope there are three 2023 starters on the roster right now. Yeah. I think four would be good and five would be some remarkable, you know, if, if Bozeman signs long-term and Deontay Brown comes in and plays like an all-pro and Christensen works it out, wonderful. Yeah. But I think in reality, right. you're probably one maybe two starters away. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, the, the other way to get starters is to develop them. And I think right. the, one, the one thing that's consistently been a problem for the Panthers, is, and it was last year and it was the year before that, and it's been the, the same for a decade, is one or two guys get hurt up front and you're suddenly starting players who just do not belong there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think, you know, I don't think Pat Elfline is a great centre, but it, if Bozeman is the starting centre and he gets hurt, Elfline does give you an option to replace yeah. him. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, if Brady Christensen, you know, Cam Irving is not a starter, but he, you know, he, Cam Irving started at guard for the Chiefs when they won a Super Bowl. Maybe, you know, he, you know, he does give you another option. He gives you flexible depth. You know, uh, Dennis Daly, the same to a certain degree. Michael Jordan, less so. But there are some options, but they need to add to that. They need to add competition. You know, if you're assuming guys like Irving and Jordan and Daly are making the roster, then you need to have at least, I'd say, 12 guys so that you have a competition for those spots. They should not be guys who are guaranteed week one roster spots. 
do I think the need, if the dice fall that way, I think there is definitely a way in which they could take an interior off the diamond late in the first round following the trade down. I think yeah. the, the other thing that happens is either in the fourth or fifth or sixth round, adding guys to offer depth and competition at multiple spots. I think those, those sort of the two, two ways in which this position gets addressed to the Panthers. So just to pivot very quickly to who the prospects are, in terms of the uh, the top guys, there are three for me who really stand out. Um, the first is Tyler Lindenbaum, who you, who you mentioned, who yes, I think is, yeah, yeah he, he's, he's the top interior offensive line guy. I think there are, you know, I think he maybe isn't the perfect fit with what the Panthers are doing scheme-wise, but I think he is just so good at what he does um, that I think he's he's very, very good. He's a top. When I, when I researched him, I, I mean, he's a he's a dog, right? You know, and he's everything you would want, you know, from an interior offensive lineman. He's also an athletic freak as well. Like, yeah. you know, like he, he, he had the best ever three-cone time for a center in NFL history. And history. his tape is exactly what you'd expect of the guy who has the best three-cone time of an interior offensive lineman. And then he just, he moves so fluidly in space. He adjusts his balance, his ability to, to change direction at the second level is just remarkable. Like he is, he is like all pro level pulling blocker type, type, type guy. Yeah. And, and that's what I saw, you know, and, and I know he's like, a, he has this wrestler background and everything. And um, the one concern that I have that I saw for him, I don't have it for him, but I saw, you know, that, that scouts and people have for him was, um, is he, he he's kind of short, right? You know, and you know, and so you know, is that a big concern for you? And though, I, 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 no, basically, it's a short answer. I think you know, if, if guys are short and they've got really short arms, that is a concern. But his arms are perfectly normal length for an interior offensive lineman. Um, so he's short height wise. So he's like yeah, six two, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. I, I don't really mind. I, I okay. in a way, it gives you natural leverage. I would if you. Know, if they've got the same length arms and are able to carry their body the same way, I'd rather have the guy who's six two than the guy who's six six. Yeah, it's easy for them to get underneath and pass. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think my big the reason why I don't have him as like a you know top prospect in the draft type guy is I think he can play a little bit frenetic at times. Okay, um, and I think he would do better almost you. Know, it's one of those things where the NFL speed gets faster, and it's almost like he's playing at a higher speed than those around him. <laughs> um, and and do wrong, it can lead to him doing remarkable things, but it also sometimes leads to a little bit of inaccuracy. Yeah. Um, like sometimes he just like explodes to the second level, but hasn't right. quite got his feet set and stuff. And it'd be nice just right. to you know, get there a split second slower, but have your feet set and make sure you make the block an extra ten percent of the time, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 he's very, very good. I think that the two other guys are Kenyon Green and Zion Johnson, who right. I have closer together. They are more guard specialists. Okay. Um, I think Kenyon Green is the better of them, in my view. I think right. both of them are good run blockers. Um, I think both have some technique stuff they need to work on. Pad level is a big one for both of them. Um, but I think they're both, you know, should be day one starters and have the potential to be really, really good players. Um, I think the only thing with Zion Johnson is his pad level is really quite poor. The reason why I have him below Kenyon Green is although he flashes more upside, I think he his balance suffers because of his pad level. Um, yeah. And I think NFL defensive linemen will be better at taking advantage of that than the college guys who he could just swamp. Um, right. I also don't think he's got, although he certainly can cover ground laterally as a pass protector, I think he's not super twitchy, um, right. which is you know reasonable for a very large man. But um, I think he might struggle. If he finds himself one-on-one -on -one with a linebacker in a channel, I think he's... 
he, he does a really good job of using his hands and understands the leverage and so is able to cut off angles very well. But I yes. think if he finds himself basically one-on-one, head, you know, head-to-head rushing in a channel versus a linebacker, I think there are, there, are, there, are, there are some twitch concerns in terms of his absolute ceiling as a pass protector. But I, I, I think he still a very, has the potential to be a very, very good starter. So I think both of those guys are, are, are you know, week one starters with serious potential. Um, yeah, I think the thing with Zion Johnson is that he doesn't seem – I think he's one of these guys that didn't really pick up football until later in his in his life. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so, you know, like, I think he's still, you know, for as good as he's been, like, you know, you could say that he's still really learning how to play the position. Yeah, yeah. and there's one of the uh, – we'll get to it next week. But one of the top offensive tackle prospects is a bit like that as well. And okay. it's one of those things where – Are you talking about Raymond? Uh, no, I was talking about uh, Smith from Tulsa. Okay. 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 Um, uh, and it's one of those things where you see those guys, and you absolutely see the potential. And you, it is comforting knowing that they have not, you know, if, if they've been like you know high school Americans, you know, gone to Alabama, have been four years old to Alabama, and they're still technically raw. That's definitely a con- that, that's a big concern. Right. Um, when a guy, you know, I, I don't know about um, uh, uh, Zion Johnson specifically, but like Tyler Smith. Um, I think he started playing offensive line in his junior year of high school, then went mm-hmm. to Tulsa and is a redshirt sophomore coming out of Tulsa. Like he has yeah. basically been playing the position for five years. Right. Two of which are high school level, one of which is a redshirt and two of which are Tulsa. Like the <laughs> fact he is not some technically polished master of his technique is understandable. Yeah. But there's also that bit of like, you know, you may, you, may, you may have the ability to do something and not have had the opportunity but just yeah. because you haven't had the opportunity doesn't mean that you do actually have the ability to do it. Right, so right. it's that bit of like, if a guy, even, even though it's understandable why they haven't developed, the fact that they haven't developed just is another uncertainty because there, there are guys who, 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 who will seize that opportunity and will get a lot better very quickly. And there are guys who really won't. Yeah, it's crazy that you say that because like you said, sometimes you, know, you do get the opportunity, but you're not very good at it, right? When I was a, you know, one of my um, childhood hero stories, you know, when I was playing football, you know, um, this was going into like the ninth grade, my older cousin, you know, and, and from a small town. So my older cousin was like on the state championship. He was like all state left guard or whatever. Right. And so but he was like six, three, um, 300 pounds. Right. In high school. And he was a mauler. Right. And so. Yeah. Here I was, like, I had been a chubby kid, you know, but I had started, you know, getting some height and started slimming down. And, and so I saw myself as more like a tight end type guy, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I wasn't even, at the time, I'm still like around like five, two, five, three or whatever, right? And so when they saw me, they was like, oh, Hardy, you know, that's my last name and that's his last name. It's like, oh, you know, Big Hardy, like you're a little Hardy. We're going to make you into Big Hardy. You know, so we're going to put you at left guard. Can you get into a three-point stance? I was like, yeah, you know, so, but but I felt like if I had played football, they were going to force me into like this position, and I didn't think I was that type of guy, and and it kind of really discouraged me from playing football, right? Because yeah. I didn't want to be an interior office alignment. So uh, anyway, it made me think of that. You know, when you say that, you know, sometimes guys play the position, but they really don't have the skill set to really be in that position, but. You know, that's how somebody envisioned them, right? You know, oh, yeah, no, I, 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 I think in both of these cases, the guys definitely have the skill set. It's whether yeah. it, it, you know, interior offensive linemen in particular, technique is massively important. Right. Um, you know, how you use your hands, because there isn't, you know, for an offensive tackle, 
um, you know, ultimately, if you can't cover the speed rush, there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. So you, you have to have the other system, yes or no. Whereas in the interior, there's less of that. You've got to have the bulk, obviously. You've got to have enough lateral agility. But a lot right. of why you win and why you lose is technique. Right. Um, and the issue is, is there are guys who do not have great technique because they possibly have not had the best coaching or just haven't had the time to absorb it because, you know, technique builds upon itself. It's layers of things. It's sort of the yeah. core technique can get more advanced and more advanced and more advanced. And, you know, um, the great example I can think of this is Jermaine Effetti when he came out of Texas A&M. Yeah. And it was this bit of, like, Texas A&M had turned out, like, Jake Matthews, Luke Jokel. There was another guy. Cedric Abui, I think, was the other guy who wasn't quite on that level. But they, they turned out, like, a couple of really polished offensive tackles. Mm-hmm. It, you know, maybe not great, great, great athletes, but, like, really polished offensive tackles in a couple of years. And then yeah. the Feddy came out. And he had all the athleticism and stuff, but he was just technically awful. And yeah. there was that bit of, like, okay, like, if you would come out of some very small high school or some, like, you know, if you'd come out of some FCS school, um, I could understand your technical, like, um, immaturity, shall we say. But, like, right. you're coming from the same school that has just churned out two straight or three straight first-round pick tackles. Two yeah. of them were elite technicians. Right. Maybe, you know, the fact that you don't have great technique says more about you than I think it does about your opportunities kind of thing. Like, you know, you know it's the... You, you said the same thing last year about the um, my left tackle out of Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, it's the if you're technically poor out of a school that consistently churns out great technicians, right? Then I think you know, in the same way that if someone came as a tight end out of um, Notre Dame and was just like did you know athletic but nothing else, you think okay, yeah. but you've churned out loads of guys who are athletic and other stuff. Yeah. So it suggests that you're you're a bit the fact that you haven't taken coaching on board says more about your ability to take coaching on board than the quality of the coaching you've had. Right. Whereas there, there are guys who come out and they clearly just have not been coached properly. Um, so I guess, and, and that, and that, you know, your top prospects, you know, Linda Baum is an Iowa offensive lineman. Yeah, right. yeah, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. He's, he, he's an Iowa offensive lineman who's also a fantastic athlete. Yes. Um, and I think that's the, the, the thing that really separates. Whereas, and Green is, again, you know, these guys are all yeah, technically yeah. competent. None of them yeah. are terrible technicians. But there's yeah. a difference between being like a good athlete and a competent technician and being a good athlete and a good technician. Well. well, let me ask you this question, you know, about, you know, the interior offensive line position, right? Because it's not a sexy position, but no. it's really, really necessary for a good offensive line. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people get lost in trying to figure out, like, where do you draft a center? Like, where do you draft a left guard? Like, where, like what's the sweet spot in terms of, like, like what's the highest you should go for one of these guys i think it does depend a little bit on just how good they are and exactly what they do in your scheme so for example if if you're running a a scheme that you asks your if if you're going to play drop back um you know five man protections you know if you're going full like you know joe brady lsu and you're just dropping Mm -hmm. back five man protection passing schemes in the nfl and, and you're running like uh, directional blocking schemes that ask guys to be technically really, really good, then I think you could draft interior guys higher. But if you're going like downhill, like power, um, you know, inside power, and all of your your um, passing game is built off play action and rollouts, right? Then it it minimizes the impact of guys. So depending on your scheme, in not just interior guys but offensive linemen generally have different values. In the yeah. same way that you know. 
if if you run a load of five wide receiver sets and you run a whole load of zone beaters and it's all on the quarterback to to read and react and and to you know essentially there are different parts of it. There's there's you know the particularly in the passing game, there's the, the the quarterback has to be able to read stuff. The offensive line has to block and receivers have to get open. Right. And depending what you pref- what you prioritize schematically, you can do different things. Either to put more emphasis on the receivers, more emphasis on the quarterback, more emphasis on the offensive line. Like if yeah. you've got really really good receivers, you can go to more max protections because you trust them to get open. If you've got really bad receivers and a really good quarterback, you can just go five wide and just try and basically blitz the the defense with options and make it so that the defense can't be right and trust the quarterback to interpret it quickly and get the ball out. Yeah. Right. In the same way that if you've got a really bad offensive line, you, you can compensate for that. Um, right. but depending on what you do schematically, the offensive line changes value. So if, if you have an offense that puts a lot of pressure on the offensive line, then the offensive line has more value. Right. Um, I, I, I think that's probably not what the Panthers have under McAdoo. Um, yeah. I don't think they have you know, something new. The offensive line is still very important. But I, right. I don't think this is a draft of guard at six. Off I think six yeah. is probably too high anyway. I think if you get if, if if you get into the first half of the first round, you have to be amazingly good to be drafted as a specialist interior offensive lineman. And that's I think that's my thing, right? You know, it's because like who would you say like the best center was last year? Would it be Creed Humphrey? Probably, yeah. yeah I would have so, I, I would have taken him somewhere in the ten to twenty range. Yeah, he went second round. Yeah. <laughs> I've no <laughs> idea how, but he did. Yeah. Yeah. So he went second round. And I mean, I, I don't think uh, Linda Baum is going to last that long because no. I think he has, he has more um, hype around him and, and he earned it. But, you know, it, that surprised me. So it kind of like throws me off in terms of trying to project like, where should you take a guy like that? Because even if you trade back um, to like the teens or whatever, you know, is, you know, should you be taking a, a left guard there? You know, should you be drafting Kenyon Green there? Should you be drafting Zion Johnson there? I think Green and Johnson I'd take in the 20s. I think yeah. Lindenbaum, I think 20 or like late teens, early 20s, I'd start to consider it. Um, okay. I, th- I think the thing with Lindenbaum and the Panthers is I don't think he is the perfect scheme fit, okay. um, at least for what McAdoo wants to do. I think he is, I think he could do it and I think he, he could do it well. I just think that he would add more value to other schemes. Like, so you could see like him in like a, the Shanahan scheme. Oh, yeah, in the Shanahan scheme, he'd be. He'd outstandingly good oh yeah. he'd be so good at chat like, yeah, like, like he he is he is sort of like the prototype outside zone you know pulling blockers that that yeah. kind of he is a shanahan guy and that makes me mad man because like i i really want that like i want that so bad for us and i i just can't get it like like i wanted mike mcdaniel bro like i wanted yeah somebody still... who came from that type of offense like i i just I, I i definitely like mcdaniel i think there is the issue you get is there and I think that you this was the the one of the issues with what the Panthers tried to do with Joe Brady in terms of his relationship with Sean Payton is that you can have the basic structure of someone else's offense and you can understand yeah. it generally. Yeah. yeah. But but Shanahan's ability to add more and more wrinkles and complexities and nuance, it, yeah. you know, maybe McDaniels is the guy who can in the same way that Shanahan took his dad's offense and built upon yeah. that, maybe yeah. McDaniels is the guy that takes Shanahan's offense and builds upon that. You, you know, I, I don't know basically but, but, well, I, I think, I but think what, the, what, what you don't want is someone doing some kind of like bad copycat version of someone else's better right I do think that McDaniel 
you know, I think, you know, obviously he was around the Shanahan's longer than Brady was a, you know, able to be around. Um, yeah. Um, what's his name? Uh, right. And so, so I think, I think he's more, you know, like involved, was more involved in design. And so I think you're going to get a lot more from him. Um, but you never know though, because I do, I think Shanahan is a master of manipulation. Um, and I don't know how involved Mike McDaniel was in that kind of design, you know, element. Yeah, I, I, find out though. Yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a there's a there's also a real difference, and this is true for all kinds of things, not just the NFL. There is a very there's a there is a real difference between recognizing the the quality of someone else's idea and yeah. being the person who comes up with that idea yourself. And they yeah. they are they are there are real values in both skill sets because you also need yeah. someone to be the person in the room who says. Yes, no, yes, no, that's a good idea. That's a bad idea. But, but there's also, a, that's, a, that's a different skill from being the person who comes up with new ideas. Yeah, um, right, actually being the innovator. And so yeah. we'll find out soon, like, if, yeah, we'll if, find out. If, if, not, if Mike McDaniel is an actual innovator or if he's, you know, like an auditor, you know, a copycat type dude. But regardless, yeah. I want a scheme that looks like that. And, you know, like, I wish, you know, like, I hate hearing stuff like, like, Linda Baum is awesome but he might not be a good fit for us because we don't have the offense that's set up for that. I mean, I know but, it's but, not- but, but I think the flip side of that is if you draft Zion Johnson <laughs> and then you go to that offense, then Zion Johnson is, is probably more valuable in what the Panthers do currently in, than in that kind of scheme. So yeah. th- 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 yeah. there's, there's two sides of the coin. To it. Um, okay. I think okay. So- I, I get off, I get off of that now. So yeah, okay. those are your top prospects is Linda Baum, Green and Johnson for the interior line. Yeah. The the overhyped guys, I think. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, there's always a few, but I think the two I'd highlight are Sean Ryan from uh, UCLA okay. um, and Alec Lindstrom from Boston College. I don't think either of them are terrible players. I think they're both like mid, late round, like fourth, fifth, probably like fifth round pick type guys. Um, but I don't think either of them has massive upside, and I don't think either of them are super polished. Like I think that is, both... is Lindstrom like related to the other Lindstrom? Yeah, his younger brother. Oh, that's what I thought. Like, I was like, yeah, yeah. that's a Ryman name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, and I think it's one of those things where, like, I'm not sure. I think Ryan is a tackle moving to guard who I think some of his issues at tackle will be fixed by moving to guard. I don't right. think all of his issues will be fixed by moving to guard. Um, uh-huh. I think, so it, it's a bit of a more extreme of the, the Zion Johnson thing. Like, I think he, you know, he, at tackle, his issue was he couldn't cover enough space laterally. I think yeah. at guard, it will be that he doesn't have the twitch to cover laterally quickly enough. Um, I think Lindstrom is one of those guys who is just a perfectly decent mid-round pick who is getting up, who at least had in some circles has been moved up boards because of his name. Yeah, um, that's right. Name like, recognition. Yeah, and it, it, it's, it's one of those things where like when you have like a, you know, that those sort of things, a lot, a lot of prospects are neither black or white. There are a lot of guys who are just like shades of grey. Some yeah, of them yeah. will work out, some of them won't, but but yeah. things like name recognition helps those guys. Right, right. Uh, and that's how the footballers that's how football is set up, right? Uh, yeah, they, of course. Yeah. It's pedigree, you know. Yeah. It's, it's 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 the same reason why the Panthers have lots of Temple and Baylor guys. It's because yeah. when you have guys who are sort of shades of grey, they are just the names that they can reach for because they know them. Yeah. And it is it's that same thing. And I I it's in neither it is understandable but also being not good. Um, yeah. And so I think I think Lindstrom has got a little bit over. I mean, it depends. I, I see him as high as like the third round, which I think would be far too high. But like, I think he's more of a fifth round. I think there are players who are better than him who are consistently being rated below him, even if they're not being rated that much below him. Maybe aren't that much better than him. There is a consistent bias of him being a slightly too high. Yeah. Um, is what I would say. 
in terms of guys who would fit with the Panthers, I think all three of those top guys do make sense. If the if the Panthers trade down into the late first round and those guys are there, I think there is a you. you if you're not going to take a tackle, I think you can justify taking any of those top three guys late in the first round. Yeah. Um, if you're not going to do that, I think then that shifts away from like the week one starter type prospects, and then you're moving more towards the. So I think there are a few guys who could start week one, but maybe don't have the starter upside, uh, or maybe don't have the uh, you know plus starter upside. I think the you know Luke Fortner at Kentucky, who I think is just like a really solid player, can play center and guard. Definitely makes sense if you're you if you if he if he falls late enough that you're taking him as a backup makes yeah. tons of sense. Yeah. Um, because I think he can you know I think he's probably a, would be an improvement over Elfline. Um, would, would give you guard and center cover and could potentially start you know he's someone who could step into starting role as Bozeman left kind of thing potentially. Yeah. Um, I think the other players I'd mentioned Ed Ingram um, from LSU. I mean, he has some very significant off-field stuff dating back a few years that I think, te- you know, there will be a lot of teams I think you just don't have him on his draft board um, right. at all. Um, but if he is on your draft board, and again, I'll point out, I am not a psychologist or a criminal investigator or any of those things, so I can just <laughs> yeah. tell you what the tape says. Um, yeah. But I think he is uh, a starting kind of a guard in the NFL. Where would he be I'm, if he didn't have the, the off-field issues? I don't, well, I mean, for, I, for me, I I just don't include those things in the grade because I I, yeah. I don't I can't I can't really speak to him in detail. I think yeah. he's probably he's probably a, a a mid third early fourth round pick who's probably going to go mid fourth early fifth. Yeah. Um. I I think the red flags. Well, I think yeah. It's one of those things where some of it is red flags should not necessarily drop a player. Some of it is just about doing your diligence and working out whether you think it's an issue or not. It's the same with the medical things. Like um, Starla Tulele had the, the heart murmur issue. And it's one of those things where if you think that's an issue, it's not that you should drop him a few picks. It's that you should just not draft him. Right. Um, you either just have him off your draft board or it shouldn't really change things. And um, I think that's a, at least that, I think that's generally the approach you should take with these red flag things, at least when they're significant things. Yeah. Um, is they're either off your draft board or it shouldn't really change very much. Um, so I, I think he's one option if you wanted like a, probably not super high ceiling, but a, a starting guard. Um, yeah. The other guy I would be interested in late, this is probably more like sixth, seventh round in from Texas Tech, who is just a really athletic interior offensive lineman who shows enough technical promise that you think there's something to work with. It's not just athleticism, um, yeah. but has, has real movement skills, has power, has upside. Is a little light below the waist um could add some more power in his legs but it's got a really powerful upper body moves well um and i think if you're taking like a sixth round development kind of guy um then i think he makes a lot of sense but i think the it's very much a split into two it's either guys who are like patch starter slash development guys or the we expect this guy to be a week one starter either a left guard or center type prospect so there's the panther there's a real divide in the need if that makes sense yeah you know i'm, I'm really eager to see what the McAdoo offense really looks like and, you know, what um, camping, you know, as a offensive line coach, you know, brings to that group. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, you know, like we didn't change head coaches, right. You know, but we got a new offensive coordinator. We're going to have a new scheme. You know, we're going to have like a new, you know, probably blocking scheme and everything. And we're going to have new pieces across the offensive line. But right now we're trying to plug players in based on what we think is going to look like. And we just don't know, like yeah. if this was last year, we could kind of, guess at what we thought 
Joe Brady needed for his offensive line, even though it seemed like there was a bit disconnect, yeah. you know, in, in the room, you know, as, you know, as fans and observers, you know, and some analysts um, like yourself, you know, you can kind of like say, okay, based on what they did in 2020, this is what I think they need for 2021. Now we, you know, have the same head coach, but we're going into year three and, you know, they've addressed some positions across the offensive line, but, you know, like we really don't know who the perfect um, offensive line candidate is, you know, on the interior offensive line or, you know, at left tackle. So you kind of got to like, just look at who the best prospects are. Um, and you know that, you know, if he's a top left tackle, he's just going to be a top left tackle probably, you know, and yeah. if he's a top center, he's going to be a center, you know, but um, we don't know how like these other guys, you know, I, I think you're doing a good job, but you don't really know like how they really fit, you know, with what you know, who uh, McAdoo is now, because the last time we seen Ben McAdoo, actually run an offense when, I guess, when was that? Like, that was, was that in Jacksonville? Uh, Did he run the offense? Like, he's, he was the coach. He was QB coach. Yeah. And so, was, like, was, the was, last time he ran the offense Giants, was in the yeah. right? Yeah. And so we have to kind of go back and look at how those teams were set up. And, and I, 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 I think it also makes more of an impact on the interior because ultimately, if you're a good left tackle, you're a good left tackle for anybody, yeah. you know. Because generally, the thing that changes more is run scheme rather than 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 pass protection. But like ultimately, if, right. if 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 you can pass protect, you can pass protect. On right. the whole, um, different schemes might play slightly more value on stuff. But but ultimately, you know, if you're a left tackle in the NFL and you're a good left tackle in the NFL, you know, Trent Williams might be more valuable than he, for Mike Shanahan than he is for someone Carl Shanahan than he is for someone else. Yeah. But he would be valuable for everybody, kind of thing. Yes. yes. Um, and so I think that's the you know the thing like. When you have a left tackle, it doesn't make that much difference. But for interior guys, where the pass protection stuff is often fairly similar regardless, you know, what you do in the run game starts to matter more. And so how you fit into that matters more. So in, in the interior, it's even more significant what, what scheme fits, guys. Yeah, and that's why, you know, like I'm, I'm just eager to see what McAdoo's offense really looks like. And I wonder, has it adapted? since we last saw him, right? Like, you do you think he's the type of guy that's going to, like, stick to his own um, script, you know, in, in terms of what his scheme was, you know, what, four or five years ago? Or is he going to take a look at what the NFL has become more of since he last coached and say, you know what, I'm going to adapt my style yeah, to that? Yeah, I, 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 really, I really don't know. I, I, it's, I, I don't, don't feel like I have a particularly strong read on the guy. So, yeah. I, like, I, I, I really don't know. Yeah, because, you know, we've heard Matt Rule come in and say, like, he wants a, a running identity, right? A, 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 like, yeah, I would expect McAdoo does more power run than, than you know, I don't think he's suddenly going to become a, you know, five-man protection, um, you know. But, did he, but he, did he do that before? Was, you know, was the Giants considered, of his era, were, were they considered power run? Not necessarily, like, they did a lot of quick passing and stuff. Um, yeah. But in terms of what they did run-wise, it was more power run. It was not the Shanahan style pulling blockers out of everywhere. It was more yeah. a hat on a hat and move a guy. Yeah. Um, so I would I would imagine, I think probably combined with what Matt Rule has kept saying about downhill run, I would expect they do have more of a downhill run scheme. They okay. can, I, I think they will probably be looking, you know, even the guys they brought in, like, Corbett and Bozeman are power run guys. Yes. You know, yeah. you know, but, you know, it would be really weird if they signed both those guys and then went, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to do like outside zone, <laughs> like pulling blockers everywhere, Shanahan yeah. style run scheme. Because if that was what you're going to do, those were not the guys to go and sign. 
yeah. uh, you know, go and re-sign Matt Paradis. He's better at that. that that's what yeah. he would have suited. Um, right. So I, I think it's uh, it, it's an indication, but it's not a conclusive answer, if that makes sense. Well, I guess, you know, that's, that's to be determined. But, you know, we... So those are your, that's your interior offensive line group yeah. in terms of the guys that we would cover. Um, you know, the top guys being Tyler Lindenbaum, Kenyon Green, Zion Johnson, um, the overheight guys being Sean Ryan and Alec Listrom. And then, you know, the guys who would fit the Panthers could be possibly Luke Fortner, Ed Ingram, and Dawson Deaton. Um, the last group we're going to discuss, the yeah. linebacker group. And, you know, this is actually this is my favorite group to talk about. You know, you said something last time we talked and it's been like, you know, haunting me um, since we talked and you, you know, you told me who you thought, you know, was from this group and how they could possibly be the best player in the yeah. draft. And uh, so I'm, I'm really eager to get to that. I won't spoil it. Um, but, um, you know, so here we are at the linebackers. Like it's my yeah. favorite players of all time have been linebackers. And so, I'm ready. You know, last year I was big on, on, on our guy, Michael Parsons. And, um, and, you know, and he did exactly what I thought he would do, although he did it in the way that you expected him to be great at versus, you know, how, you know, he was being projected as an off ball guy. Yeah. More so. And so, but, um, but still, I love linebackers and I would be happy when Carolina gets another star caliber linebacker. And I know that in some, you know, ways the linebacker position is like losing importance, you know, but I still think if you have like a really good one, um, then they can, then they can change your defense. Like yeah. I look at Fred, I look at Fred one and I look at, you know, guys like, um, you know, what's, what's my, my guy's name at, in Tampa Bay? Uh, um, and, uh, yeah. Um, Lord, um, Devin, is it Devin? Um, I can't think of Devin White. Devin White, yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah. Those I'm not guys, giving names. Yeah, they they wreck shop, you know, and, and they make a difference. Yeah. I, I like Roquan Smith out of Chicago. Like, I yeah, like... I, I, I think Roquan is more of an example of the devaluation of linebackers. Not because he's not good, but because although he is a good linebacker, he does not impact the play, the game on a, a you know, he is not a game changing player. I think he, 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 I think he's a pro example of a player. Who, who well, was he taking tenth for the Bears? Was that he was taking? He went eight. He went eight. eight. Yeah. yeah, he should probably have gone like twentieth. Like mm. not because he's bad, but just because you know he does not have any one skill set that, ma- that massively changes the game. And there are skills that's like you talk about like Fred Warner. Warner is a really really good coverage player, like yeah. a really really good coverage player. And and yeah. and I think you know. Um, Michael Parsons is a great pass rusher and, and the Cowboys used him in a way that made the most of it. I think the, the players who are getting devalued at linebacker are like the inside thumpers, good run defenders. And then it comes to the passing game and, you know, guys who, who would have been really good coverage players 10 years ago because, you know, they can do a role. Like, like, like Denzel Perryman and, um, and Jermaine Carter are a good example of this. Like good run defenders do their job in coverage but aren't going to generate, you know, they're not like specialist pass rushers and they're not going to generate many turnovers or big plays in the passing game. They do a job as part of a defense, but they are not themselves massively impactful players. Yeah. Um, I think those are the guys who have been devalued over time um, because ultimately you want sacks and you want interceptions. Yeah. Uh, And competent but unspectacular coverage doesn't tend to give you either of those things. Um, I think those are the guys. I think think that's kind of where the pattern, I mean, 
where the Panthers are at the moment at linebacker, I think Shaq Thompson took a real step over the last couple of seasons. I think mm-hmm. last year he looked really good in that sort of off-ball, number two sort of roaming linebacker type role. The thing that Thomas Davis did really well in Carolina for years when he was not, yeah. you know, he was not expected to be the guy inside all the time, which was a little bit of how Shaq was used in 2020. Which I don't think yeah. it was a great fit for him all the time. I think he did it the best of his ability and was a great leader. But yeah. I think he is not that inside the tackle thumper. He is a guy who is going to excel in space as a blitzer, being used in different ways. Not the same player as Jeremy Chin, but that same bit of his value comes in his versatility and his range. Um, I think what you then need to do is pair that with someone who can who can be that inside, f- primarily offers a fundamental run defense, but offers more of a genuine, you know, Mike inside linebacker over the ball. Uh, guy, I think I think that's what the Panthers need next to Shaq. I think Logan Wilson can give you that. Not Logan Wilson. Um, uh, Wilson, uh, who they signed. Damian Wilson. Damian Wilson. That's it. Sorry, I got confused. With I wish it was Logan Wilson. <laughs> yeah, no, Logan Wilson would be a great fit with the Panthers. <laughs> um, but 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 Damian Wilson is is going to be that guy in the short term. I think in the same way that Jermaine Carter was last year, and yeah. um, Tia Whitehead was the year before that. I right. think Corey Littlejohn gives them a little bit more of another off-ball option. Right. Um, but I, I don't think either of them are long-term options. I think they are they are players who allow them... You know, if the Panthers do not draft a linebacker, those two players will allow them to function as a defense without them. You right. know, I don't think either of them are the plan. You know, I think Littlejohn's only on a one-year contract. Wilson's two years. They're not here for 2023, 2024 and beyond, really. They're here yeah. as stop gaps to either allow you to... you know. Neither of them are being paid so much. If Panthers drop, if the Panthers trade back and draft the linebacker twentieth overall, they're not paying either of those guys enough money that that's a problem. Right. Um, but if the Panthers don't do that and don't draft the linebacker until the fourth round and sit a guy for a year to develop, they can play those guys and it's not an issue. So I think the Panthers have have actually played their linebacker room quite well to this point yeah. um, this off season. But I think they 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 are really lacking long term options. And I think Jeremy Chin will probably move down to the box more but mm-hmm. having in an ideal world they want to find their Lou Keekley and their AJ Klein this year yeah. they've got their Thomas Davis they need to find those that, that sort of inside thumper linebacker in Klein who can yeah. do a decent job in coverage and that Lou Keekley do it all inside linebacker I think if they you know, and it's crazy because like you said they have their Thomas Davis but like with, with each passing season like even having that Thomas Davis I'm assuming you're saying with, with Shaq Thompson right? yeah yeah yeah, like with each passing season, like you know, that's fading too. He's getting older, you know. And yeah, he's still he's still quite a young guy though. He's still like twenty seven. Like he's not 28, Yeah, yeah, he's not thirty one, thirty two. So I think Shaq can can be that yeah, guy. I, for I next. Some, yeah, I have some PTSD, I guess, because of Luke, you know, retiring at twenty eight. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> I know Luke, that's not typical. You know, but Luke, it's just like, Luke had a lot. Yeah, Shaq is twenty seven. He'll be he'll be twenty eight in about a week. Um. Yeah. I think Luke had longer running health stuff. No, he, did. You know, he, did. he had a lot of concussions. Yeah, um, I just, like I said, you know, it's, Shaq is playing at a high level. He's playing at the highest level I think he's played at. And you're right. You know, I think he will continue to play at a high level if the Panthers can really find, you know, a guy that they can really trust to be like that, that, that true um, Mike backer. And, yeah. uh, and so, you know, this is a great, this is a, great this is a good draft to do that. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good draft to do that because, you know, like the top guy, you know, that, that guy might be around if you can find a way to maybe get back into the third and get him. 
but but also that there are there is enough depth in this class that if you're picking in the fourth round, there is a chance that probably the Luke Keekley does not fall to you. You know, you're, yeah. but but the AJ Klein depth you probably could fall to you in the fourth round. All right, so uh, let's 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 talk about the guys that's in the draft yeah. because, like I said, it's my favorite. And yeah. I'm eager, eager, eager to hear you talk about the top players. Yes. So I think there are there are two linebackers for me that stand out. Um, the top guy for me is Chad Moomer from Wyoming. Okay. Um, and the next best guy is Nakobe Dean from Georgia. And I think there is a, a gap between those two and everyone else. Right. Um, I think Moomer is just really very good. Like he's he's got the long speed that you want in terms of running sideline to sideline. He moves well in space. He's got good quickness um, in terms of in the box. He reads running lanes well, has really good awareness. Uh, he uses his hands well to take on blockers, um, stacks and releases well. Really good technical tackler. Um, and in coverage, he has the movement skills to play man coverage against most tight ends. Has the footwork um, at the head of routes and in zone has good ball skills and really good instincts like he he you know there's still room to grow in terms of moving his instincts on even further and i think there's some further refinement he can do in in his footwork at the head of routes in terms of making sure he doesn't have any wasted movement and keeping his balance even better but he is uh he is as good a linebacker prospect as i've seen for a long time he's he's very very good and you know like you honestly you know when you said that a few weeks ago it was interesting because there were several people who had DM me and asked me to take a look at Muma, right? And and honestly, I had never seen him play, you know. So um, I can see why you love him, right? And I did watch him doing the combine, and you know, I, I like the way he moved, you know. But I haven't seen enough of him to to like know that he's the guy. And so he wasn't my top linebacker. So when you said that he was your top guy, it wasn't the first time I had heard it. You know, when you say he's possibly the, the the best player in the draft, I was like, whoa, you know, like, is, is he that good? Because I can't say that he isn't. I just I don't I, know. I, th I think the thing with, with Moomer is, I think so Logan Wilson was another guy who came out of Wyoming, and Moomer has talked a lot about Logan Wilson's impact on his sort of development and stuff. Right. Logan Wilson was one of those guys who, again, I really liked and probably would have taken in the first round. Maybe not top 15, but... 15, probably 20 to 25 kind of range for me, Logan Wilson. Um, and he was one of those guys who did not have the very, very top tier athleticism, but was a good yeah. enough athlete, a good run defender, and had really good instincts, just understood the game really well. Um, yeah. Like in coverage, he made plays because of his understanding. His understanding got him to places that most players' feet could not get them to. Right. Um, and I think Muma is someone who shows many of the same traits, but combined with elite athleticism. Yeah. And I, I think, it, you know, if you're talking about how off-ball linebackers can impact the game, it's through, you know, you need to be a competent run defender. You can't be a liability that teams can just run at. Yeah. Um, but you need to be either an elite pass rushing option or an elite coverage guy. And I think Muma can be okay as a pass rusher. I think he can do some stuff there, but I think he... He's the only guy in this draft um, that I think, and Dean is the next best, which is why I have him as number two, but I think Moomer is one of the few, you do not see many linebackers who come out with these really developed instincts in coverage yeah. and the athleticism to make them work. And I think he is, he is a really rare coverage player as a linebacker. Um, and, and a coverage player who is not some hybrid tweener. You know, it's not Simmons or Chin 
who you talk about as like coverage linebackers, but they're like six three two twenty. He's yeah. like a, a a legit like six three two forty two forty five. Yeah, a, a, and can be that coverage guy. Um, so I, I think that's the you know he is a legitimate inside linebacker who you know no one should ever be compared to Luke Kuechly because no one has ever done what Luke Kuechly did. Right. But that kind of stuff that Fred Warner shows his instincts that uh, that a lot of the very top linebackers do you see in Chad Moore in a way that you do not see in very many linebacker prospects at all. You know, and it's funny you bring, you know, like Fred Warner up because Fred Warner um, was a guy that coming out of, I think it was BYU. Was it BYU? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I think it was BYU. Yeah, you know, like that was his strength then too. You know, but nobody had him as being like the, the top inside linebacker in the NFL at the time. But I think if people could go back to his draft class and, and, and draft him, they would take him in the first round. Yeah, no, I, I, honestly, I, I, I must say I didn't really watch much of Fred Warner um, at the okay. time. And so I didn't really, I, I, you know, when people started talking about him as being really good, I just didn't really have an opinion. Right. I, I, you look back, sorry, I just went back and looked at Luke Kiki's college stats. <laughs> no, they're, they're ridiculous, uh, man. He averaged uh, 14 tackles a game or something. He, he, in, in, his, in, his, in his final year in college, he had 191 tackles three interceptions, um, 102 solo tackles. I was going to say, Chad Moomba last year had 142 tackles, 85 solo and three interceptions. Um, well, let, let, me, let, me, let me show you this, this, this comparison that I just, I just researched. You know, we were talking about Fred Warner earlier, right? A lot of people have Fred Warner, at least one and two, 2021 as the top inside linebacker. Yeah. A lot of it due to his coverage ability, right? I just looked at, and, and sometimes... I go to my, my quick go to is just the uh, NFL.com, um, you know, like grade prospect page, yeah. yeah, the prospect grade. Um, Fred Warner's prospect grade. Well, first of all, let me break it down. He's six foot three. He was six foot three, 236 pounds. His prospect grade was a 6.1. Good backup with the potential to develop into a starter, right? He was yeah. round three pick six. He had a 40-yard dash of 464, right? I looked at Muma just before that. Six foot three, 242 pounds, so he's six pounds heavier. His prospect grade is in the same category. He's a 619, so it's like a 6.2. 6.2. Good backup with potential to be to develop into a starter, just like yeah. Warner. His 40-yard dash is 463. Like they're like one hundredth of a second, yeah, you know, off. And I'm like, okay, like these dudes really do kind of stack, you know, similarly. Yeah, I, I, and, yeah. Um, and so I, I, you know, it's like one of them things where I didn't know Muma. Like you did, like you didn't watch a lot of Warner then. I didn't watch Muma this yeah. year, but I've heard a lot of buzz about him. And I'm like one of these guys that okay. Maybe Muma is that guy. We just haven't seen enough of him because, you know, the the, the the second guy has been my guy because I live about, you know, 40 minutes from Athens. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I if I don't watch Georgia play, like if I just watch the local news, like after every um, you know, local news segment, there's like a, a go dog segment. Right. And so I know Nicobe Dean. I've yeah, seen yeah. a lot of him. I've seen a lot of all the Georgia guys, right? Yeah. And so Nicobe Dean is like the guy, you know, that I've seen this year and say, you know what? I want a guy like Nicobe Dean. I, I, I think Nicobe Dean is a very good prospect. 
I, I should yeah. write for that. Like, like he, he is my next best linebacker. And I think he is a very good prospect. I think he is the only other guy in this draft who I look at and think that is a guy who shows, you know, plus instinct as a linebacker in coverage already. I think yeah. he's the best pass rusher in the class. Yeah. Um, I, I think actually, I think I have a, a slight concern over his absolute ceiling in coverage. Um, and I don't, I, actually, I think he's probably not the best run defender. Um, okay. I think he needs to be more, he needs to use his hands um, more proactively um, taking on blockers. I think he gets swamped a little bit too often. And I, I don't think he's the best tackler in space. Um, do you have him being more like Shaq than you mm, do? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm trying to think of who a good comparison would be for him. Because he sits with 225. Yeah. How, I don't about, think, how about Devin White? No, I, I think he, maybe Devin White is a better comp. I think what he doesn't have is the fluidity in his hips that you'd like to see ideally. Like, I think he looks, he, he looks quite tight-hipped. And he, although he runs well, he can get quite flat-footed at times. Um, like when he's in off, when he's in coverage, he gets a little bit flat-footed at the head of routes. And as a tackler, he can get a bit flat-footed, um, okay. and that's that's his, his actual like tackling technique with his arms is fine. Um, it's his feet that, that cause him some issues at times as a tackler. It, okay. It's just not being able to get his feet set and not being able to adjust to late movement and that kind of stuff. It's right. the, the the sort of the, it's like hip flexibility. Effectively, he doesn't yeah. have ideally. Right, uh, and I think it's one of those things where it's not totally. Like, I, I could see a team going for Micah Parsons. And it, there's, a, there's a number of guys in this class, actually, who are probably better pass rushers than they are coverage players. Yeah. And I'd be curious to see how much teams really lean into that. So, like, my, my number three linebacker I don't have here is uh, Christian Harris from Alabama. Oh, yeah. And he, yeah. And he is very much, a, like, he is legitimately way better as a pass rusher than he is a coverage player. I think um, Dean is a slightly better pass rusher than he is, but is a much better coverage player, which is why I have him ahead. Though I think yeah. Harris is actually a slightly better run defender. Um, but but it's that bit of like I think with Christian Harris you would be curious to see whether a team goes full Micah Parsons and just uses him as a straight up pass rusher right. because I, I'm really not clear how you use him in coverage in a plus way like I think he can be okay but I'm just not sure where his upside really comes from as a coverage player right. um, whereas I can see Kobe Dean being like a plus maybe Logan Wilson is a better comp than Kobe Dean okay. like a guy who does a lot of things really well and is a good coverage player, and I think Nakobi is a better pass rusher. Um, but I think where neither guy has like that real top tier elite athleticism you'd want to see. Like you're not going to play either guy in one on one coverage with Mark Andrews or or you know uh, um, George Kittle. They just don't have that kind of athletic that movement skill type right. stuff. I think right. that's where I have. I think that's really a better comp. Is it's that kind of really good but not elite athlete type. Uh, type guy. So I think he's a very good player, just not, I think he will, his athletic, athletic seeding will ultimately prevent him from reaching that very top tier of player. Okay. But like that second, like like Logan Wilson is a really good linebacker. And I think yeah. he's that that kind of level player who can and use then, his instincts. And, and to, right to now you're talking about, you're talking about um, Harris or Dean? Dean. Dean, Dean okay. I think is like a Logan Wilson type prospect. I think Harris, yeah. I'm not really sure who, Harris is a weird prospect. I'm still not totally sure who I think he fits with. It, right, it's I, almost I will, like, well, you know, yeah. you know, it's, it's funny, just as, a, as an aside, Dylan Moses was somebody we discussed last year, you know, at yeah. we weren't high on him because his tape, you know, he was looking bad. You know, obviously he was a big time prospect coming out of high school. 
uh, but then he got hurt. And yeah, he, he just never looked. He just never looked the same post injury. Yeah, and and then I know this. I think I saw like you know it was like this really um, <laughs> this really um, like low key um, transactional news the other day. They said that I think Moses was cut. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, and so I was like, wow. Like, so, you know, we weren't crazy, you know, when we talked about him. I, I think those those are the sad ones when the guy just gets hurt and just is not the same. Um, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> it sounds mad, but Nick Chubb was really, he, he you know, he was even better pre-injury. Like, pre-injury yeah. Chubb was just yeah. another level type player. Another Georgia guy that I yeah, saw. Yeah, uh, just bonkers. Like, yeah. it was one of those things where, you know, I think – He's still one of the top running back prospects from the last five years, if not the top running back prospect. But right. pre-injury, he was like up there with anybody kind of thing. Yeah, um, and, and I think, you know, when the people ask me, like, who's the best running back? I just think in terms of like just pure running back, right? You know, and just like a guy that I want to hand the ball to and just like I actually have Nick Chubb still in my mind like as a, as a pure runner over there Henry. Um, I think they're very different stylistically. So it's very yeah, hard yeah. to like. Yeah, it's hard if, to. It's hard, if you, but if I had to pick a guy, just. If I had to yeah. pick a guy and say I want this guy to be my running back, it would be Chubb. Yeah, I, I I certainly think he's more adaptable. Like I think Derek Henry is really like Derek Henry is a prime example of a guy who you're watching, like, I have no idea how to grade you. Because if yeah. you get like it's Micah Parsons is a similar guy where it's like if you get in the right scheme, you can be amazing. But yeah. if you just stick you into the average NFL defense, you just went like be the conventional off ball four three yeah. inside linebacker. Yeah. You just lose so much of the value. You wouldn't be so good, you know. So, but you said that in in this class, though, when you was talking about Dean, Dean Ashley is the one that has the best potential to be a pass rusher. Not that you would use him like that. Oh, he's so good as a pass rusher. He is. He is really very good. So he's a good blitzing back. That's why I thought, you know, when you said that, I I think Devin White at Tampa. I think he's a really good blitzing linebacker. Yeah, I think I can see the. I, I think Devin White's thing was he was just freakish athletically. Yeah, and yeah. it was more about like okay, can he actually learn to play coverage rather than does he have the potential to play it? I think yeah. Dean coverage-wise is almost the other end of the scale where he's, he's, he's got all the – his understanding and his instincts are, are really good. It's just about what his uh, like actual athletic limit, like ceiling is as a coverage player. Yeah. So and it's kind of the, He says about his footwork, right? He gets yeah, it's, 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 it's partly footwork, partly just like hip tightness. Like he just doesn't – some guys just – when like when he has to – like at the head of the route, the tight, if you're running a tight end, the tight end is running at you vertically. There's a bit where you ultimately have to open your hips and drive on the ball, either down to the route or outwards or upwards. And yeah. he's just – he just does – he just looks a bit uncomfortable doing that and it's a bit clunky. It's just it's just quite tight hips. Yeah. Um, and I think that also shows up as a, as a tackler in space. Like there's – there was a play early in the um, – fairly early in the game against Clemson this year where he's he's actually lined up almost as a cornerback mm-hmm. and the pass goes to I think the tight end underneath him and he dives at the tackle and the guy just moves slightly late and he just cannot set his feet and, and it, right. like like if, if, if he can line a guy up he's fine but if yeah. someone moves late he just struggles setting his feet at times and and, yeah. and opening his hips and driving at angles rather than just going straight into guys yeah um, so I think that's but you saying technically, like, because I haven't seen Muma play a lot, especially live. You saying Muma's really good at doing that. Oh, he's, he, it's Muma. Yeah, is, is very fluid. His, his yeah. footwork can get a bit choppy at times. I think there's some coaching there, but it's 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 a technical choppiness rather than a like a disc, uncomfortable movement choppiness. If that makes sense. Yeah, and and it's crazy because 
I I believe you, right? You know, I just went and like I said, seeing the Fred Warner cups and everything. I keep looking at these top five lists, you know, they come up on NFL Network and everything, and like Muma's like number five, and and you know, and I think the guys they have ahead of him are um, Dean. I've seen Lloyd. I think I've seen Harris. I don't know who four would be, but I've seen Muma at five. I'm like, whoa, like how can this guy be this good, but be so low? Like, why do they have him like lower than the other guys, right? Yeah, that, that does quite conveniently bring me on to the overrated connection, which is Devin <laughs> Lloyd. And I yeah. I think this is the thing, because I think Devin Lloyd is a guy who in other linebacker classes, you could you know, ha- clearly has the upside. There is there is the potential there for him to be a really good player. But in a linebacker class that is full of like fairly technically developed pro-ready prospects, yeah. his athletic upside feels more intangible. It feels riskier. Like it yeah. doesn't... It, it, I think why, a, do, why do people love him? Because a lot of people, you know, send me notes and stuff about Devin Lloyd. Like, man, no, I would draft Devin Lloyd if we trade back and this and that. Like, he, I don't he, see it. He moves really well. He reminds me a bit of, like, college Shaq, not with the running back bit, but he he's a really good athlete who shows some good things, but he's just, I think, needs more technical refinement. He, you know, partly the Pac-12 is a bit weird. Um, they just, they're, 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 their schedule is a lot of, like, move teams that use a lot of like mobile you know, Rick Dulwich is a great example at UCLA a tight yeah. end who is basically a receiver and right. I think Lloyd is though he he has the movement skills and the range and the coverage upside to be a really really good player I right. just think he's more of a project and in some draft classes that would be much more palatable than in this one that has a load of really you know Nicobe Dean Muma are like they're not pro you know that they are like pro ready elite upside players like I think their ceilings are just as high maybe Dean's is a little bit lower but he's yeah. just a way way more polished player yeah. and so I think Devin Lloyd is a I think he's still a day two pick I just don't think yeah. it, like in this class that's full of linebacker talent I think he's just a bit further down the pecking order like where where would you rate him overall in this linebacker class I think I have him if I get my board up I think I have him at six no no seven sorry six but like six seven that kind of Range. So he's just he just he's your six or seven best linebacker. Yeah. Wow. Um, but I think this is a, a remarkably good linebacker class. Like that, like all of these yeah. guys I'm talking about are all like second, at least like day two prospects. Like gotcha. I, there are there are seven or eight linebackers I would take over the first three rounds of this draft. Wow. Um, if not more. But I'm, but I'm, but that's satisfying to me, right? Yeah. Because like the little bit I saw of Devin Lloyd, I'm like, he doesn't blow me away. So why do keep people, why do people keep considering him the top linebacker in this class? Like, I just don't see it. It's like once they decide to to label him that, they just won't move off that mark. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't see what they see, but so you not, you saying that he isn't. I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy because I kept telling people that when they would say, go take a look at him. So I just go, I mean, just quickly, somebody sent me a DM or something and say, Hey, um, hey, Panthers culture, go and check out Devin Lua. I think you'll like him, man. Then I go into like YouTube or find whatever I can and start looking at, you know, his highlights or stuff like that, or people doing film breakdown. I'm like, I'm not all that impressed by by that, you know. And you know, like he does have, you know, plays, you know, but it's like nothing that's like, like wow, like that's the guy, right? Yeah. And so these other guys do have that kind of tape, and I'm like, okay, I, I mean, Dean is my guy. But I typically will always rate a guy that I've seen more of over yeah. somebody that I haven't seen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so Muma is just the guy that I haven't seen. So, I, I mean, I can't say that he is or isn't better than Dean. 
I'm just kind of right now, I'm, I'm really going with you and your analysis because I think it's solid. Um, but I'm eager to see where he lands in the draft and like, you know, like if he can actually be the best that comes out of this class because, you know, like. Yeah, I, 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 I think I would also make the point there is, a, there is, at least for me, there is a difference between the best prospect and the guy who will be the best player. Like, yeah. you know, ultimately, in any draft, if any of the quarterbacks work it out, they are the best player in the draft. Yeah, yeah. You know? But that, that does not mean they would, you know, that does not make them the best prospect. So it's about balancing ceiling and floor. Like, I would be surprised if Moomer was the best player who came out of this draft. Yeah. But I think yeah. he is the best prospect. Yeah, um, and it's, it's the same, like, we had this competition with Trevor Lawrence last year. I'm not sure he'll be the best player that comes out of last year's draft but I think yeah. he's the best prospect. I don't he's think any prospect. player gives you the, the same combination of ceiling and floor. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where I am with Moomba. I'm not saying, I, I, there are still players I have to watch, particularly at edge. So I'm not sure he is the, the top player, but he's certainly in that kind of very, very top tier for me. Okay. Well, and I Dean can, is sort of that tier below. Right there below him. And then Lloyd is like... Lloyd, Lloyd's several tiers below. Got it. And I'm cool with that. All right, so so those are the top guys and the, the and the overrated guy, and so who would fit for the Panthers? So I think if you know if if you're looking at guys to be that like number one inside linebacker, I think the two who make sense are Dean and and Moomer. Right. Um, I think Dean is probably going to go too high. I think Moomer yeah. could fall certainly to the middle of the second round. I think if they trade down and add a pick in the in the forties or early fifties, I think Moomer could well be an option there. Right. Um, and, you know, in the same way that uh, Creed Humphrey was last year, I think you could occasionally get these guys who just fall. And yeah. if, if, if he's one of them, you, you take him. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he's definitely someone the Panthers have at least some potential to target if they trade down. Yeah. Um, I think if you're looking more in terms of the, the mid-round picks, I think the two guys who I'd focus on are Leo Chanel and Channing Tindall, right. um, who are more of the thumper type like neither of them are great coverage players both right. of them can sort of do their job in coverage and can you yeah. know but if they're more guys who would be useful um as replacements for carter in that kind of role more what to hear height to, to hear whitehead was used at in 2020 where it's like okay they've brought on a, brought on a second tight end or a fullback we're going to go to a three tight end three linebacker look this is our number three linebacker and rather than whereas 10 years ago you'd have the two inside guys and you'd bring on a nickel linebacker. I think yeah. what you're seeing more teams do now is have like their Mike linebacker and their, their off ball linebacker. So like Shaq. And then when they get to three tight, like multiple tight ends, they then bring in like a more thumping type inside linebacker. And yeah. I think Tyndall and Chanel would both be good spits for that. Um, I think Tyndall is slightly better in coverage than Chanel. I think okay. Chanel is the only guy who compete, could compete with Dean for the best pass rusher in the class. Yeah. Um, he's, he's 261, bro. Who, Chanel? Yeah. He is a large man. 261 and runs a 4-5-3? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't move laterally very well, but downhill. Oh, <laughs> like, God. And he, he uses his hands really well, both as a run defender and as a, uh, a pass rusher. Like he's, I think Dean has this sort of freakish dip and change of pace. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Chanel is just like, I'm going to bull rush uh, a guard and I'm going to get my hands on them and I'm going to try and rip move, move a guard. Um, and, and he's just a like physical thumping inside linebacker. Um, but then, I mean, like, I mean, I'm really looking at this whole thing different now. Like, I'm sorry. You know, like I knew these guys and I knew their names. Obviously, um, Tendall was there at UGA too, right? You know, yeah, so, yeah. so 
how is Devin Lloyd? <laughs> like, I just went to go check out Tyndall. Like, I knew him. And so I was like, ah, I know what that guy is. I did. Tyndall is bigger than Dean. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's, he's two inches taller. He's five pounds heavier. He runs a 4.47 and has a 42 inch vertical. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, he, he can't change direction very well. Um, so, okay. so, so I think I think it depends what you like. So, there's this. I think it depends a lot what you want to do. Like, if right. it, if you want someone to shoot an A gap, then yeah. Channing Tendall and Leo Chanel are about as good as there is in this class. Maybe Dean right. is up there. Right. If you want someone to like play man coverage against a tight end, neither yeah. of these guys are going to fare well. Yeah, yeah. Like, 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 you know, if they might do okay covering like a fullback to the flats, like they can run very well to the flat. Like, it's a great play against Clemson. You can tell which game I watched a lot of to watch these three Georgia yeah. linebackers. But Tyndall yeah. runs from the backside, like blows past and just wipes out the ball carrier in the flat on a on a on a short pass. Right. Um, and you know his, his closing speed is remarkable. Yeah. Um, but he is very much a straight line player. Yeah. Um, I get know, that. And and that has value, but it's it's a different value. I think the thing with Lloyd. So I do think I think Tyndall is. I have a similar like. I think Chanel is better than Tyndall personally, because right. um, I think ultimately they're neither of them are going to play man coverage, and yeah. both of them are fairly similar in zone. And I think Chanel is just a, a better pass rusher. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's two sixty one, bro. Like I, like, <laughs> I wonder, if, like that's that's messing me up because like he's a off ball backer. Like you just don't see off ball backers at two sixty one. No, he is. He certainly. He's a very interesting watch because, like, he does not move laterally well at all. Like, he almost like in coverage, he's new. Who's the Who's the guy last year? Um, I think he went to. I think he went to the Chiefs. No, not was it Chiefs? But he was like the top linebacker last year, or one of the top linebackers last year that was off ball. Um, is it Zane? Is that Zane? What's his name? Oh, oh yeah, Zayvon Collins. Zayvon Collins. Yeah, Zayvon Collins. went to Arizona, I think. Arizona. He went to Arizona. Yeah, he went in, like, because they picked Simmons and then they came back and picked him. So it's yes. Arizona. I knew he went to a red and white team. And yeah. so, so Zayvon Collins, Zayvon Collins, is, is, is Chanel like him? Or is, is, Collins had better um, coverage skills, I guess. I think they're probably similar in terms of their movement limitations in coverage. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Collins had better instincts. I think Collins was able to make up for some of his lack of movement. Yeah, but when, he was a big guy too, right? Yeah, no, he, he I think but I think Zayvon Collins was a guy who was a really good pass rusher again. Yeah. Um I think he was kind of like the guy who you want if you run a like a three four scheme where you want a linebacker who's gonna blitz a lot. And then drop into coverage, yeah. um, but not really play man coverage. You're just going to play zone and blitz. Yeah. And I, I think um, Chanel could definitely do that. I think yeah. Zayvon Collins was a better prospect, frankly. Okay. Um, I think his I think his coverage upside was better. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think Tyndall is more of a legitimate op. Like I think Tyndall is is more fluid in space. Okay. I, I don't think he's going to play a lot of man coverage, but I think he probably could do it a bit from time to time. And I think okay. probably has a, a greater range in zone. I mean, I, Chanel is is really quite limited in coverage. Um, he's not bad, and it depends how you use him. Like, if you want to use him chasing to the flat or something, or I think there's probably 
given his athleticism, there's probably more to delve into, but it's like a an underneath zone defender. He just doesn't have the the ability to like like with Nicobe Dean, but just more exaggerated, he just doesn't have the explosion to open his hips and drive on balls. Like yeah. if he's chasing to the flat and he's running in straight lines, he's fine. But he's just not twitchy really at all. Yeah. Um and Tyndall is a bit twitchier, um, yeah. but he's still not super fluid in his movements. Yeah. So I, I I think there is a real debate in terms of what you want to do between Chanel and Tyndall. I think they are similar run defenders. Um, I think Chanel is also a better run defender. I think that the one thing I would say with Tyndall is that he can get tricked. Um, as a, like he, he generally does his job as a run defender, but sometimes he just bites on fakes and just, yeah. just gets you you can pull him out of his gap at times. Um, but you know what, man? Hey, look. I'm looking at these guys now in a different light. I'm actually going to go back after this episode and like try to see more um, Chanel and, and Muma and Tyndall because it just hit me. It's a really good linebacker class. It's a good linebacker class, and, and, and but this is what just hit me. Phil Snow has had his way in the last two drafts. How has he not drafted a linebacker yet? I think probably because they had Shaq. Shaq is one of the few defensive pieces who was maintained from the pre-Snow era. Yeah. Um, is he the only defensive piece? Is there anyone else who's been there longer? I think he might be the only... Him and Brian Burns, I think, are the only pre-Snow pieces on defense. Well, and um, Dante. And Dante, yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think there's also a bit of... They, they have tried things. And I think Jermaine Carter... I think, actually, if they'd have kept Chin in his 2020 role and played yeah. Carter in the Tahir Whitehead role, I think that could actually have worked quite well. It could, I, yeah. I think the issue was is that they they moved Chin back and tried moving, like, almost they moved Shaq into the Chin role, Carter into the Shaq role, yes. and Chin into uh, the, the Sam Franklin slash yeah. someone else. That's, that's exactly what they did. Yeah, and I don't. I think. I think in an ideal world, you'd have Shaq in the Thomas Davis role. You'd have yeah. Chin in the uh, Eric Reed slash Mike Mitchell slash um, yeah. Roman Harper role. Right. Um, you'd have uh, someone like um, Jermaine Carter or a Tyndall or a Chanel in the AJ Klein role. Yes. Um, and then you'd have somebody Moomer, ideally in my view or but but somebody in the Luke Keekley role right um and, and I think that's how you'd ideally have that second level of a defense if you're playing a single high look role. um and I think now you have Woods to play that single high role as well you do so right I want to I want a linebacker bro I, I would really like a linebacker or two I, I want a linebacker I think I, I, did, I did a mock draft last week um yeah. a seven round one and I think I had the Panthers taking it easy linebackers and I've had mocks where they've taken three. Yeah, I mean you was willing and dealing. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. You got you got all of your guys, you know, that you talked about. And then you went and got those guys too. So I was like, man, this dude, I, I wish he was in the um in the draft room. You know it's also the bit of it's very easy when you like so I tend to use either like PFF or or I just take someone's draft board. Because yeah. just because it's one of the things where you can go, oh I think they'll be available then or oh yeah I'm right. sure you can get Chad moving in the ninth round. Um, but you know, you, you have to do something that sort of tags you to some level of realism. But right. the issue is then is you can see the order and you can organize the picks to do it. The issue is if you're doing it, you just have to go on the value of the picks themselves. You can't go like, oh well, 
there's a player who's rated about 80 if I want and a player who's rated about 100. So I'll trade down and get a pick at 80, 100. You yeah. just have to just be like, okay, this is where I think the distribution of players is. This is where yeah. I think the value is. And then just take who's there. So just take them, yeah. You uh, know, like I haven't done a mock. I haven't done a mock. And this is my second season not doing one because I used to like, honestly, man, I used to sit around at night doing like these draft network mocks. So like I would do like 20 of them a night. And my wife was like, what you doing? Like I'm doing mock drafts, you know? And, and so, um, and then I just told myself, you know, beginning of last year that I wasn't doing anymore because like it never works out like I want it. No. I, th- I think Skyler and the culture really helped me. Like, you know, <laughs> it's like my nicotine patch, you know, like I don't focus on mock drafts anymore. I do like looking at other people's mock drafts, but not as obsessively as, obsessively as I did before. Um, but you know, when I saw yours, I was like, okay, let me see what, let me see what Vince is thinking. (laughs) And so I went and looked, I was like, okay, I I could deal with that. But I know that these are his guys. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mooma, yeah. The the wide receiver out of uh, Cincinnati. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, yeah, I said, he's willing to deal in his way. And so, um, but it was cool though. It was cool to see. And I mean, I just don't know what to expect, you know, from. Scott Federer this year, you know, it'd be cool to see him trade back, but then I want I think, to- I think, I, I think that's the thing. I, you, what you can't do with mock drafts is go like, I think we should get that prospect, that prospect, that prospect, and that prospect. Yeah, yeah. And I think what you can do is go, okay, this is what I think is what one for me, I think is a nice way of introducing people to players they probably wouldn't otherwise hear about, particularly as you get yeah. down the drop and be like, this is a guy who might be a decent linebacker in the fifth round. Yeah. Um, but some of it is also like, personally this year and I thought last year and the year before that and the year before that trade down like I I, I I don't think you should always trade down and you have to wait and see what the options are there's no point doing it for the sake of it but yeah. Panthers have one pick in the top 137 136 yeah. um, and, and they have a lot more needs than that and I yeah. personally think getting getting a Chad Moomer you know, if you're doing it arbitrarily I think if you're saying do I get um, Kenyon Green Chad Moomer and Leo Chanel, or do I get, um, you know, or we'll talk about them, the, the, the tackles, but do, I would rather have three day two picks than the six overall pick this year. Yeah. And I would certainly rather have a late first round pick and a couple of day two picks. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I, and, and, and me too, you know, like I, I got two different, you know, train of thoughts around that. Like, like my, because I think even last year we agreed like a trade down was really cool. We even looked at all the pits between eight and fifteen, and it was like there's not a big gap in talent in yeah. that in that sweet spot, right? And so I was on board last year. Um, I was on board the year before. This year, I'm so tired of talking about left tackle. You know, you know, because you even said it right. You know, like. It's like the Brady Christensen thing. Like, okay, Campen came in and said, hey, I wish I would have saw him play more. We all wish he would have played more, right? But yeah. the, reality is the head coach didn't trust it. I don't yeah. know if he ever will. I don't know if he's really the true left tackle answer. No, I don't. I don't think I, yeah, and so, like, I don't want to have the discussion around left tackle next year, right? And so if the guy's there, if it's Equinu or Neil or Cross, and you really believe in the guy, just nip it in the bud and get your guy and, and, and go for the next five, 10 years with that guy. But I, I, th- I, think, that's, I, th- I think that's, that's the if though, it's, it's, do you really believe like, uh, pers- we'll get to this next week when we talk about it, but like, yeah. I think there's a big difference between going like, you know, I think there are a number, I think this is quite a good tackle class from what I've seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there are a number of guys. 
I don't think there is necessarily any tackle who is the, you know, there is no Laramie Tunson in this class. Yeah, there's no you know, there is no guy who like okay, well that guy's going to be a pro bowler and he's going to be really good week one. So just think, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I I think you're looking at more. A lot of people a, believe Neil is going to be like that. Yeah, I, I think he's got as much of a chance really as any of the other offensive tackles. I, I think it's a good tackle club. I think there are lots of good guys, but there's no um, there's no really like I think if you look at the at the top tackle prospects in the last five years I don't think there's anyone in this class who is necessarily going to get in that conversation to be like an elite elite tackle prospect we'll, we'll say that from next but yeah but but I, I think there comes a point of like there's a like um would you rather have a guy who has an 85 percent chance or a guy who has a 75 percent chance 15 picks later I think that's when the question starts to become it's about you know there are no 100 percent in the NFL frankly there are no 85 percent it's more like, do you want a guy with a 60% chance or a guy with a 50% chance 20 picks later? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you, especially if you get extra picks for getting that guy with a 75% chance or whatever. You know, yeah, like I, think, I think that's the thing. Is it's... Yeah, but let me ask you this then. You know, and this is, let me be goofy for a second, but I got to ask a question because I talk about it a lot. So if, say they stay at six, right? Yeah. They pick a guy. You know, let's say they love a guy, right? Yeah. And they pick one of these guys because they love them. Yeah, more than we know, but they still want to figure out how to get more picks for day two, right? Yeah, or late in in round one depends. Let me ask you this, man. Like, because I can. Would you consider accepting an offer for Brian Burns? No, uh, I, I mean I, I I'll put it this way, and I, this is kind of something I've tried to stress throughout this off season. I would not do anything particularly bold this year. Okay. I think given that there is a, I'd say at least a 50% chance you're going to fire your head coach in a year. Yeah. I, I am I am being as... Conservative. Yeah, not actually conservative, but just like I'm just trying to keep my options open for a year's time. I got I, you. you know, I yeah, got and it's the same thing with, you know, there's other things with Watson, obviously, but, you know, if, you know, if... If in a year's time someone comes in, like Brian Burns still will be the fifth-year option after this year. Yeah. Obviously, his value will have decreased possibly, or it could increase, or who knows what. But but ultimately, if you if a new head coach comes in and goes, I want to wipe the slate clean, then trade right. him next offseason. You know, you know, if you want to start you know, fire sailing it, I think the time to do that is next year. I think yeah. this year it has to be about looking for the long term in the draft and making free and I think that it, it did do a good job of this in free agency but making the free agent move to allow them to be competent in the short term without closing down long-term options so yeah. you need to give Matt you're going to keep Matt Rule for another year you have to give him a chance to actually prove himself one way or the other there's no point just giving him absolute trash to pull out there with and going why didn't you make the playoffs so um, what, what do you what do you think is Matt Rule's best chance to win like in terms of like draft QB left tackle setup like what's what's the best if you were Matt Rule and 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 the owner came to you they they came to you and said hey I'm gonna give you one year to to show me that you can yeah. prove it like, your 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 whole reputation is built on the third year for yeah. you you know you turn your teams into winners in year three I know that we've had some you know some mixed you know um you know perspectives <laughs> on how to how to do that 
Yeah. You know, I wanted the shine, you know, you wanted this guy, whatever, whatever. And so now it's all that's in the past. We need to prove to these fans that you can win, that I can win as an owner. Which route do you want to go? If that was if you were Matt Rule, you know you need a left tackle, you know you need, you need a quarterback. How would you approach it? If my only interest was this season and nothing else, I'd take yes, a left this tackle. season. You take a left tackle. Yeah. Yeah. Because you it, don't have time. You don't have time to you can't rush a rookie out. I think I'd either take a left tackle or I'd trade down, take an interior offensive lineman. And yeah. then try and come back and get a pass rusher. Yes, like and, and that's that's and that's what people are not. <clears throat> it's a thing that I want, right? As a fan, and if I start thinking about okay, what's best for the Carolina Panthers, you know, for the next four or five years, right? That's one way of looking at it because I'm thinking about the most objective way of getting better over time. But then I have to frame everything with the mindset that we have a coach that could be on the last year of his career as an NFL coach. So how does that coach prove that he can win? And so how does he approach the draft to do that? And so that's why I'm thinking, you know, the closer we get to the draft, they go either, you know, top left tackle or they trade back and take an interior offensive alignment. And then they figure out a way to put a different quarterback behind center and, and and take their best shot. But I think right. even even without another quarterback, I think if you're it's like I think it it Mayfield is maybe part of that conversation. That, that that's where things like Mayfield start coming in. But I think if you yeah. if you went okay, we you know, I I I think there is about a 50-50 chance that any rookie quarterback is better than Sam Darnold this year. <laughs> yeah, um, just, just, you know the learning curve is really high. They could become yeah. all pros, but it might take them some time. Yeah. Um, so I think if you're taking a quarterback, that's just a massive swing from the heels. I think if you're not doing that and you're saying, okay, how can we win with Sam Donald? The way to do that is to have a really potent offensive line that gives you a strong running game and a play action game and makes things easy for him and a defense yeah. that can really scare people. And I think if you're doing that, you go, okay, Christensen isn't ideal, but again, any rookie left tackle is likely to be as you know, have ups and downs as well. Whereas we can make a big improvement at guard, we can get someone, you can get a Kenyon Green who will come in, who will open up space on the interior. Yeah. Um, we'll start Christensen, Green, Bozeman, um, Corbett, Moten. We'll have Darnold. That's a good line. It's a pretty good line, yeah. And we'll do a yeah. lot of play action. I think if it's one of the things where I think it's an offensive line where if you get behind in games and you're throwing it a lot, you're going to get. Yeah. You know, yeah. He's going to get rain. Yeah. I think Moten is a good, a really good run blocker who is a pretty good pass protector. I think Corbett is a good run blocker, who's a decent pass protector. I think Bozeman is a good run blocker, who's a decent pass protector. Yeah. I think at least le- he's a left tackle. I think Christensen is a pretty good run blocker, who's an okay pass protector. Um, so essentially, we betting that we can stay close in games. Yeah, and, and the way to do that, I think, if you want to stay close, you you want an edge rusher to complement Brian Burns. You want probably a linebacker, um, and and you want a. A left guard is the cheap, you know, a left tackle would be ideal, but the cheaper way to do it is just to get a left guard. It's good, yeah, straight back, yeah, get a, get a, a top guard, get top more guard. Pick. One of you know, if you've got Kenyon Green, Mooma, and say one of the you know, second round edge rushers, third round edge rusher, I, I it wouldn't be the end of the world. I think, I no, think, it, it, it wouldn't, it, it really wouldn't. I mean, we have to be open to the idea, it yeah, really. I, 
like it, on, on Christensen being in in the same way. That, if you find a franchise left tackle with the sixth pick, that's fine. Like that, that's yeah. that that's that would be a really good use of the sixth pick. Yeah. The issue is, is that is you as you only have one pick in the top 136. If you go for a top left tackle and you don't hit, that is yeah. all of your draft capital gone. Whereas if you Ooh. spread it into four different players, if you know you trade down and you have a pick 25, pick 48, pick 75, and pick 90, it you can afford to just whiff on at least two of those picks and still be okay. You can because you're still going to have two other positions that you fill. Yeah, it's it, it's the same with like um like last year when they traded down. If they'd have taken Terrace Marshall Junior. Um, whatever it was, 45th overall or whatever it was they initially had, yeah. that would not be looking great right now. Right. Um, but because you've got a couple of extra players, it still might not be ideal, but at least you've limited the blow. I mean, yeah. if you're going to take someone who's really good with a 45th pick, do it. Like, you know, you, if yeah. you believe in someone as a franchise left tackle, take them. But yeah. if you don't believe in them, just spread the risk. Oh, man, I can't wait for the draft to come. You know, so I can see what they actually do because I mean that's not sounding crazy to me. And at first, I it it, it did because, but I think it's more around if they can get one of the top two tackles, right? You know, they're really I mean, seemingly everyone is high on Equinu and and um and Neil. So it's like if one of those guys somehow slipped to six, draft them, you know. But I guess if it's more right, the more like they're going, but Cross is there, then maybe you trade back and. You know, I think the, the thing I will say about all of these guys is what I said about um, uh, Fields last year. Yeah. Is It's not just about whether people, like, ultimately you have to really believe in them as individuals. Yeah. Not just in their talent level, but in your, their ability to become what you, what you want, want them yeah. to be. Um, yeah. And that's really hard to evaluate. And I think it's something the teams get wrong a lot. Yeah. But, but there's no point taking a guy because he's highly rated if you don't really want him. No, I, and, I agree and, with that. And, and this is a point that Matt Rule has made about Justin Fields, I think. And yeah. I, I, while I think that that you know, is also something, an excuse you can use retrospectively, yeah. if, if you genuinely don't believe in the guy, don't take him, particularly in the uh, top 10. And, and, and honestly, that's the way I feel about, you know, what they did with Justin Fields last year. It's honestly the way I feel about, you know, why they shouldn't reach for a, a um, Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett this year. Like, if you don't really believe in them, like, don't waste this pick on them. And I will respect that. Like, You're just draft, draft somebody you believe in, like, wholeheartedly. Like, the one thing that I really respect about them is that I really believe that they believe in J.C. Horn. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. And so, like, and when you see J.C. Horn, you know, we didn't get to see enough of him last year. But when you see him, like, right now, it's about his little off-season workouts and stuff with his trainer. Like you, you, you see why they love him, and it's yeah. like okay, like I can, I can get behind that. So like, all I want is them to have some conviction around whoever they pick and where they pick. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm good with that. I just, I just want to understand why they did what they did, you know. And I think they explained that last year. It was just hard yeah, to accept because of who we got kind of stuck with at quarterback. Yeah, yeah and I think also that there's, there's a. I think there's also a bit of a hangover from that 2020 draft yeah. where I think, for at least from what we heard, it seems like Matt Rule was fairly keen on trading now yeah. and, and they didn't. And it was that yeah. bit of like, I think that's what you really have to avoid doing. Because like, I mean, we talked about Derek Brown quite a bit already in this, this right. podcast series, but like Derek Brown is a good player yeah. right? and has a potential to be a very good player. Right. But 
he would ultimately he they they took him because he filled a short term need, yeah, not because he was the player who had the most value at that bit, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's the there was a bit when they took JC Horn and it was like, okay, right, yes, do they have a need at corner? Yes, yeah. does does yeah. he does he fill a need? Absolutely. Yeah. And there was just a bit of like they've done it again. They they've reached for filling positional need rather than taking the so guy who tackle, to going, and going to tackle that sits this year could be another example yeah. of that. What you're saying? Yeah. All, no, no, man. All, all quarterback. Ultimately, I think I think we'll talk about this more next week. Yeah. But I think though, there's any time you take a quarterback or a left tackle, yeah. If they work out, they're worth the six pick in the draft. Right. The question is whether the guy you've taken merits that investment. And it's one of those things where retrospectively, if they were even you know, even if it was a completely unjustified decision, if they work out despite the odds, it will yeah. always look good. But yeah. the, the question to answer is, is this guy actually a reasonable risk reward for this investment? Yeah. No, it's 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 a really, really uh pivotal year, you know, with them only having that one pick in the first two days. And like you said, you know, like the probability of striking out and then having nothing else of value, you know, that the, to have, you know, that you would have drafted for the first two days in a year where you really need to improve a lot. Yeah. It, it would be so, it would be so damning and, and, and that much more of a setback you know, for this for this franchise, really, you know, because you would basically be looking at a team in 2023 that's finally at the realization that they're in a the real rebuild yeah. and, 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 and have to really confront that holistically, you know. And so, but anyway, man, you know, we've been going for a while. Yeah. You know, covered a lot. Um, you know, I, I came in here with the naive idea that we can do it like super, super quick, like in record time, but it, it was just a lot to cover. And, but I think it was good. Yeah. Was good. Uh, you know, we, you know, we didn't have a lot of news to discuss. We just, you know, we, we talked about the departure of Stefan Gilmore officially, you know, he's a Colt now, um, you know, the Baker Mayfield and Robbie news a little bit, you know, we'll probably get into that some more, just that's a, a developing situation. I uh, don't know how much smoke it is to it, but I think there is some real smoke. Then we talked about the position groups, what we actually here for, you know, we talked about the tight end group, um, talked about, you know, some some prospects that really don't move the needle a lot, you know, but Trey McBride is the top prospect there. Uh, likely, you know, it's, it's like number two could be a little overhyped, or number three could be a little overhyped. And uh, we'd admire being, you know, the, the guy that, um, that could be a fit for the Panthers. We'll see what they do there. I would like to have a, another tight end. Um, interior offensive lineman, you know, which is a, you know, a position of need really for the Panthers, you know, even with Bozeman and Corbett coming in, like I, like I mentioned before, Bozeman, so on the one-year deal, you know, in a trade-back scenario, you know, this is a really realistic option for the Panthers. Uh, the top interior offensive lineman, um, they are Tyler Lindenbaum, you know, the, the, the top center in college football. Um, he has guard flexibility. Then you have Kenyon Green from AM and Zion Johnson from BC, um, both good guard prospects. Um, and then we move to linebacker, um, you know, where, you know, we talked about the current situation. Basically, you have Shaq and, you know, and, and some guys that are, that are in Damian Wilson and, and, and Corey Littleton who are guys who can play ball. They got NFL experience. You know, we don't have to to reach for anybody at linebacker, but 
I think you and I agree that it would be good to for the Carolinas to yeah. upgrade the linebacker position, especially the micro. And some really exciting prospects, honestly, across the board, you know, here with, you know, Chad Muma leading the way for you and, you know, followed by Nicobe Dean, you know, those two at the top. Um, you know, then you have guys like Leo Chanel and, and Channing Tindall, um, you know, and then Devin Lloyd as well, you know, who might be a little overhyped, but really deep linebacker class and you know and I'm hoping honestly some way somehow that the Panthers find a way to at least draft a guy they haven't drafted a linebacker in 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 the last two years of this regime and yeah. so it'd be good to see Phil Snow get a linebacker you know who can who can you know upgrade that position um, so you know that's it for the position groups this week you know looking forward to rounding out the the, the class next week you know just ahead of the draft uh, we're getting closer, man, less than two weeks away. Yeah. And, um, and so, but, you know, it's been a good ride so far. Yeah. Um, do you have anything before we close out? No, I think that's everything for me. All right. And so that's me too. Um, as always, if you are still here with us, you know, thank you for, for listening. Um, you know, we have a lot of fun doing this, you know, learn a lot all the time. Um, if you like what we had to say, you know, please go in and rate and review. And if you haven't subscribed already, um, subscribe. And we'll be talking to you next week. As always, you can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. And you can find Vincent at VRichardson444 on Twitter. You know, we're always willing to discuss the podcast and we're willing to talk about these prospects and prospects that we didn't even mention. Just hit us up and we'll go through it. So I um, appreciate you guys. See you next week. Right. Yeah.